Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Yeah, just checking uh, Facebook. Nothing's going on. <laughs> Nothing's going on much today at all. Yesterday, there was a lot going on. But today, yeah, today is, is uh, it's just me. Uh, it's the summertime. Nobody's here. Everybody's gone. Uh, CJ, CJ has uh, stuff to do. And uh, uh, Derek's off tomorrow. And so it's just me. I'm just hanging out here, just you know, doing my radio thing. Uh, of course, things are happening all around me. Most of the action these days is actually off the show. Although something happened yesterday. Uh, which has only happened once before. <laughs> Thank God it's only happened once before. But uh, I had a, a surprise call. Uh, there was someone I, I talked about having on, uh, which, who was Dr. Brian Artist. Uh, Dr. Brian Artist is one of the great crusaders of the whole, uh, you know, COVID truth uh, in medicine uh, movement. You know, folks like uh, Dr. Simone Gold, uh, our friend of the show here, Dr. Judy Mikevitz, uh, and other folks uh, scattered around that have been at, uh, you know, testifying with uh, Senator Ron Johnson. And everyone else has been trying to get the truth out uh, about the whole COVID uh, government uh, medical holocaust, as I call it. And I'm not the only really one to call it that. But anyway, so he's the, uh, Dr. Artis is the one that discovered the, the whole snake oil connection, the, the snake protein venom that's, uh, that's in the jab. Uh, Judy has long, you know, talk, talked about the HIV components. Uh, and the fact that it, the, these uh, vaccines are not vaccines. What they are are basically marketing devices. And what they do is they destroy your immune system while purporting to save it. You know, okay. So, well, this will make you immune to this virus. And of course, people, you know, all, get all afraid and go, oh, no, I'll, I'll take this and I'll be immune to the virus. Of course, you're not. But what it actually does is destroys your immunity to the virus, meaning you get the virus and say, well, see, you didn't have enough. Uh, you didn't have enough vaccine. You got the virus. OK, so you probably should have taken more. You, you know, you need boosters. Uh, they're immune. You know, so it's always like you take this and, and then, then things will be fine. So, well, I'm not fine. Well, you better take more of it. You know, and uh, of course, it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, the best thing is your own immune system. I, you know, I've told this story many times. I should find one of those. Those uh, I keep looking, trying to find exactly when I had COVID. It was early January 2020. Same, same time everybody got it around here in the, uh, in the Milton, Pensacola, um, Gulf of Mexico area. And so we all got it because uh, I know I work with a bunch of sick people. Everybody was sick. Everybody was coughing and hacking. And it's like, you know, I was working a, a job, a part-time job as well as the show. And I said to the, the boss, I said, you got to let people go on sick days. I said, we're never going to recover. Everybody is uh, getting well, coming back in there. They're getting reinfected. I said, this is stupid. And of course, he said I was stupid. And then she basically said that, no, no, there's no sick days in this company. You work. I'm like, you idiot. I'm thinking to myself, I didn't say this to him. I was like, you know, you idiot. If you just give people a couple of days off, they'll recover. They'll be fine. And, and it'll be gone. It'll be done. Right? Well, that's what I did. I took a couple of days off, rested. Uh, so I'd been battling this thing for about a week and a half and coughing and working and doing radio and working. And it was, I was working like 80 hour weeks and, uh, I had no, you know, my resistance was down simply because I was exhausted. Right. Cause normally I'm pretty healthy anyway. Um, and so I got over it and took a couple of days off rested and I was fine. I never got it again. And so my immune system built up. I got a great immune system. And I know that because I was a tour guide in San Francisco and I've told this story many times too, that as a tour guide, uh, you meet people from all over the world uh, in San Francisco. Maybe not now so much because the city's totally falling apart. But back uh, in the heyday of tour guiding before 2008, or no, it was, it was actually, no, it was after 2008 because um, I didn't know the job that had a problem. So 2008 to about 2015 maybe is when I was doing most of my tour guiding. Uh, 
Anyway, those days were great days. Uh, after that, you know, kids had twelve year old kids had apps, and they were they were they were checking, they were fact checking your tour. <laughs> I said, this is, I said, this is the death of tour guiding when the twelve year olds are, are 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 you know screaming out, you forgot to say this. You know, okay, fine. So at that point, I said, I, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, I was out of there anyway because I, I wanted to get in the radio. Um, but uh, it was really fun, and it was uh, you know definitely a good time. Um, back then, but uh, when you meet people from, you know, you'll have like Saudi Arabians and folks from Thailand and New Zealand and uh, Iceland and Argentina, you know, and Bosnia, you know, all in the same, uh, and Nigeria, you know, uh, South Africa, I mean, all in the same bus or, or duck or, or motorized cable car or anything I was driving. Of course, I shake everybody's hand, right? Except for the, the, the Muslim women, they, they wouldn't shake my hand because I was an infidel. Uh, so they they put like a they they wrap their shirt over their hand or they find some some barrier you know where they could actually touch the infidel and that was that was sort of okay but most of them didn't but so the guys weren't as as uh, as I guess devout as that but the women you couldn't touch the women no, no handshaking no no greeting just kind of I don't know if you wave or you know say Allah Akbar or something like that but anyway no I didn't do that I was, I was a lot more sensitive than that and actually the folks that traveled the, the Muslims that traveled out of places especially like Saudi Arabia uh, were very westernized. And, and so it was, it's really funny. They would tell me stories. Um, we're, we're digressing. This is a casual day. So anybody wants to call me for pretty much any reason, um, even uh, Warren. I even take Warren's call today, uh, or Bert the Nazi. You know. So we'll get uh, we'll get we can make we should like dedicate a day to to leftists. <laughs> we'll have Bert the Nazi, and we'll have Warren the the Black Lives Matter guy, and uh, anybody any other ardent leftist <laughs> wants to call me. This might be a good day to do it because you know. Uh, and I was getting bored yesterday too. It was terrible because uh, you know I you get such adrenaline when you get these amazing guests that we had had on the show and we had uh, Tony Lyons Friday. Uh, and then Tony, and then Judy called in Judy Mikovits cause she's friends with Tony Lyons. Uh, and then all the, the amazing things that happened from that happened. And anyway, so back, back to the Saudis. So Saudi uh, folks, when they take off, when they, when they board the plane in Saudi Arabia, they're still wearing their traditional uh, Saudi garb, you know, religious Muslim garb. And as soon as they get in international airspace, the captain announces that we are out in international airspace. You may change, <laughs> you know. And of course, everybody, you know, heads to the the uh, uh, the restaurants and they come back and you know, like jeans, <laughs> you know, t-shirts. Like, yo, baby, we're out, we, can, we can go play now. <laughs> so then, the, you know, and they, they come play in the United States and have a great time. And women would drive and they do all the things they can't do in Saudi Arabia, right? So it's almost like a a rich woman's vacation to come to the United States. And then, of course, when they flew home. You know, I mean, they love their home, and they're not leaving Saudi Arabia, but uh, before they get in Saudi airspace, okay, we are now approaching Saudi airspace. Please change back into your, your regular approved Saudi clothes, right? So they go in the restaurants and come out again, back in the, you know, the burqas and, you know, turbans and the, uh, turbans Indian, I guess. Anyway, the, 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 the robes and everything else. It's it really pretty incredible. I mean, you, you want to talk about uh, cultural uh, you know, sort of uh, publicly observing it, but secretly thinking, you know, it was more fun driving the Ferrari in San Francisco. That was, that was a better time. Or you know who else was really, now that I'm on it, uh, who also got a real kick out of coming to San Francisco were Japanese tourists, especially men, Japanese men. The, the first thing they wanted to do was fire a gun. You know, they, they wanted to be Clint Eastwood and John Wayne, right? So the, uh, so we had this, this place called Jackson Arms in San Francisco. And uh, I, I just, you know, I, I should have gotten a finder's fee, but, you know, I didn't. But they said, yeah, you, to, you guys want to go shoot? And, oh, yeah, um, Want to like Clint Eastwood? <laughs> you know, like, okay, fine. So, uh, so the Japanese tourists would I just direct them down to um, to the various gun ranges where they could go uh, fire a weapon because they couldn't, you know, in Japan you can't have guns, which is kind of absurd. Uh, so, you know, I'll tell you who, who should really have guns: Taiwan. <laughs> the, Taiwan should have like the national shooting sport should be like AR-15 competitions. We should give them like, like five million AR-15s and and say, well, we're we're going to start holding international uh, AR-15 competitions in uh, Taiwan. And we're, we're going to be like simulated combat, 
<laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So we take so we take five million AR-15s. We train five million because uh, only six million in, in Taiwan. So basically, training everybody uh, in Taiwan over like sixteen, you know, to use an AR-15. Uh, and that would be a deterrent to China if we did that. that that's that would be a Trump thing to do. In fact, I recommended that several years ago. That we take about five million, you know, AR-15s for this million population and uh, train them. So here you go. You know, give them a thousand rounds of ammo, a thousand to practice with, and a thousand for, you know, doomsday. Uh, and I think that uh, China may be able to blockade the island, but they never actually occupy it. And so the, the trick with Taiwan, I think, is not to – because China, you know, they've got the, the Navy, they've got the missiles. They can, they can make life miserable in Taiwan, but the question is, can they occupy it? If they can't occupy it, they can't control it. I mean, they can cut off the food and things like that, and we can do airlifts, and we can, we can break the blockade, and that could all get very interesting. But the thing is that uh, what it really comes – this is the expression boots on the ground. So it really comes down to boots on the ground uh, to control land. It takes, you know, some grunt with a rifle, you know, controlling dirt. That's, that, that hasn't changed since, uh, I don't know, the 1600s with matchlocks, <laughs> you know, matchlocks and flintlocks and uh, percussion rifles, you know, then uh, cartridges, you know, then full auto. And uh, guns haven't really changed much since, uh, since the turn of the, of the 1900s. You know, they still have a, have a, although some they have caseless ammunition now, but you still got generally a, a brass case or a steel case in the poorer countries. Uh, so you got, you got a case, you got powder, you got a bullet, and you got primer. So the primer ignites the powder, the powder creates the gas, the gas pushes out the bullet down the barrel, the barrel directs the bullet, and off it goes. Pretty simple stuff. Um, hasn't really changed much. So World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam. You know, the, the, the Iraq, Afghanistan, Ukraine, and who knows where we're going next for some stupid war. Um, but that's, that's what's going on. Anyway, I digress. But the point of all that was that uh, you meet enough people, you're going to have a great immune system. This is kind of where I started this. So Brian comes on the show, and I looked up his phone number, and I guess I missed it because number-wise, I'm really dyslexic. So I can look right at a number and, and get the numbers mixed up in my head. That's probably why I suck at math. And so I didn't see his phone, so I didn't know who it was. So I put on one of my ads, and, and I screened the call. And uh, I said, who's this? You know, I said, what's your first name? Where are you calling from? He says, Greg, it's Brian Artis. I'm like, oh, no. I said, oh, gee. He says, yeah, I'm scheduled to talk now. I said, really? I wish somebody had told me. <laughs> so I didn't know. All right. So, so here I am. I'm thinking, great. Well, you got him on the line. I might as well, you know, let's, let's talk. And, you know, because I, I, Brian is one of, my, one of my favorite people to interview. And so, and like I say, he's got such a following. Boy, that show yesterday really, you know, spiked in the podcast. I didn't even have to advertise it or promote it. I just put artist, you know, Brian Artis' name, you know, and all of a sudden the internet goes, oh, there's Brian, let's, let's listen. So, you know, so yesterday was a very popular show, but I literally improvised an interview and I had no prep, I mean, but, but I always had this stuff in my head, so it really wasn't hard. And he was actually on for about an hour and 20 minutes. And so we had a lot of time to talk. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, we covered uh, one of the biggest things was talking about the, the, sort of the gap between um, knowing that we have citizen legislation to fix the problem and actually doing something to fix the problem. There's, there's something that's, that's stopping people from fixing the problem. One of the things we talked about was uh, Steve Kirsch's uh, great conference they had in Atlanta, which I was not invited to, which to me, you know, I'm not jealous. I'm not, you know, being petty. I, I think it was stupid not to invite me. Why? Because we have vaccine product liability. And the one thing they were talking about was vaccine product liability. Well, we, we've had the bill since before the first mandate. You know, we could have stopped vaccine uh, you know, mandates cold with vaccine product liability, which would have pulled the vaccines off the shelves. You know, but uh, Big Pharma, well, you, can't, you can't do that. You can't get in the way of Big Pharma. So sure I can. You know, and, and this is the thing, too, that, that, that another thing people don't understand about citizen legislation. You know, one person can stop an entire industry with a good bill. Well, yeah, it takes a lot of other people to promote the bill, to share the bill, and it takes politicians to pass the bill. Yeah, but basically one person can stop Big Pharma. 
uh, in that case, in, in the case of vaccines, that would be me because I wrote the bill. You know, we had another, we had a listener write a bill to stop all drug advertising, uh, except to health professionals. That one person would stop big pharma advertising drugs because they wrote the bill. They also wrote it with Dr. Judy Mikevitz. It's like two of them could stop drug advertising. Uh, another bill I'm going to talk about a little bit later today is our bill to uh, um, get rid of illegal aliens by, by taking all their stuff. In fact, I'm, I'm already talking to my local sheriff's office. Uh, this, is, this is going to be a great chat. Sheriff uh, Johnson, who is uh, wonderful. He's been on my show before. Uh, he's fabulous. And so uh, he, he, I, I was checking with, uh, with, with his staff, and he still uh, goes out on patrol. He's one of the few county sheriffs that actually still does patrols. So he goes out and still pulls people over, you know, he's like, just keeps his hand in it so he knows what's going on out there because he actually works as a regular deputy, you know, pulling over cars and making arrests and things like that, even though he's the sheriff. You know, usually the sheriffs sit behind the desk and, you know, eat donuts and, you know, the bad ones, the good ones are, are active. But uh, he, he does the regular job. Anyway, so legend has it, and apparently it's still true, that if you have a concealed carry permit, which, you know, most people say, you know, hi, Sheriff, you know, nice to see you. Thanks for, uh, you know, what, it, uh, what, you know what you did? No, of course not. Never admit what you did. Even if you know what you did, don't say it. Just, uh, I don't know. Because you know, then th- th- they take that as a confession. You know, it's like, well, do you know what you did wrong? Uh, and you say, well, yes, I, exped- I exceeded the speed limit by, you know, 35 miles an hour. Okay, great. Well, now that you, you've admitted your, your guilt, you've confessed, we can save a lot of time, and they just give you, you know, whatever the ticket and then the, the big fine and that kind of stuff. But if you say, why no, officer? I have no idea. Tell me what you think I did. <laughs> now it's a whole different conversation, right? So it, it gets really interesting. And you can do that as an American. Anyway, so Sheriff Johnson, cool guy. And so he pulls people over, and when he finds them with a concealed carry permit, and they don't have their gun, he gets really mad at them. You know, and it's like, why don't you have your gun? What's wrong with you? How, how are you going to do your civic duty to keep our county safer if you're not carrying your gun, you idiot? So he actually gets mad at people for not carrying their gun. Yeah, that, that should be national news. <laughs> See if I can make it national news. But Sheriff Johnson is really cool. But what I want to talk to him about is our civil asset forfeiture bill. And the reason that is so important uh, is because the, um, the, the, the illegal government, Brandon's Illegals, uh, are coming out of the country by the millions. So illegal Brandon is bringing in Brandon's illegals. So you're going to have some 15 million people in the country uh, probably by the end of this year. And they have to go. I mean, they can't stay. I mean, they were brought in illegally, and they're illegal aliens, so they can't stay. In fact, the illegal aliens are already here. They can't stay either. So it's time to get a country, our country free of illegal aliens. And it can be done. You know, the easiest way, I think, is to seize all their stuff, seize all their assets, you know, bank accounts, cars, businesses, houses, uh, everything. Just take it all. Uh, and, of course, if they want to leave the country before we take it all, then that's perfectly acceptable, too, because so at least they go. That's the main thing. Go. Take your stuff and get out of here, uh, even though it's not yours, because <laughs> it was illegally gained. If you're in the country illegally, anything they've got here is illegally gained and can be confiscated. And so this does not require a bill, because it's already a legal you know, established procedure, to take away the property of criminals. Now, for Americans, you have to go through due process and you have to go through, uh, you know, a court trial and a conviction before anything can be seized. They used to see stuff and then you had to prove you didn't commit a crime to get it back. That was wrong because American citizens have constitutional rights. However, illegal aliens have no rights in this country because they can't be here. How many times have I said this? You can't have rights in a place you're not allowed to be in. That's irrational. Right. So, well, the Supreme Court said, well, the Supreme Court doesn't make policy. They don't make rights. They don't do any of that stuff. So, uh, so that's what's going to So I'll be talking to uh, what I want to do, the, uh, the Board of County uh, Commissioners, uh, that useless uh, you know, cadre of uh, 
you know, people taking bribes from housing developers, that's basically what our, our county commission board is, uh, have never taken up this bill, even though they all know about it, because I posted it, sent it to them, sent it to many uh, conservative groups in the area, Republican groups. They don't, they don't support it either. So nobody supports this bill. So people complain. See, see the biggest problem with Republicans is they raise complaining to an art form. They don't actually want to fix any of the problems. They'd rather complain about it, and, and they think they've done something by complaining. Well, they haven't done anything. So you've got a board of county commissioners that's on the take from the house developers, you know, filling our county with too many people, and then they want to build more roads, more infrastructure, and make life miserable for us. All right, so that's the first problem. Second problem is we know we have an illegal alien problem because everybody in the country has an illegal alien problem. Every county, every city, every, every hamlet, every shire, every um, you know, uh, incor- unincorporated area has a problem with illegal aliens because the whole country does. You can't drop 15 million people and not have it affect everybody in the country. So we've got to get them rid of them. They've got to go. So, but, the best, but the thing is, how, what's the most efficient way to, have, uh, to get rid of the illegal aliens? And that's to have them leave themselves. Self-deportation. So when Trump talks about, you know, we're going to have the biggest, uh, you know, deportation since Eisenhower, that's all well and good, but it's going to be expensive. And I'd, I'd rather have the illegal aliens pay for their own departure. Why should we pay for it? We, you know, we, we shouldn't, you know, uh, it's bad enough we have to pay for them being here. Why should we have to pay for them to leave? No, just we'll have them, we'll have, uh, we'll take their stuff and we'll, we'll distribute it back to Americans, you know, as payment for all the stuff they cost us. That's the way you do it. Anyway, so there's, there's, there's ways to do everything. Uh, but what I want to do is make this a model program for the country. And so if Sheriff Johnson's willing, and again, I'll, I'll know when I talk to him, uh, if he's willing to uh, support this program and start confiscating uh, the, the uh, property of illegal aliens and say, look, you're in the country illegally, uh, your stuff's mine. Uh, and then start seizing the businesses that hire the illegals. You know, restaurant X, you know, has illegals in the, the dish room and uh, busing. And all. You, you, you take the restaurant and you take all the property of the restaurant, all the capital assets of the restaurant. Why? Because they hired illegal aliens. Okay. And, and so the, my only question is, does that require separate legislation? It shouldn't because they're just confiscating stuff that uh, is connected to the crime. So if, you, if somebody knowingly hires illegal aliens, of course, they'll say, well, I didn't know. And, of course, the answer is you should have known because we have E-Verify. If you did E-Verify, you would have known whether somebody was illegal or not. You know, so all these different things happen uh, that, uh, that you can use. And Marco's just checked in from the Netherlands. So uh, uh, Marco, in the middle of a big rant, and so we, we just, yeah, we're talking about illegal aliens. Um, but this is something that we could bring to the Netherlands, too. You know, in fact, I just uh, saw a news story of a Greek uh, or a boat in the Greek uh, sea, the Aegean Sea. Had a tiny boat with 750 people on it and, it, and it capsized and killed a whole bunch of folks. Gee, there's no surprise there. Oh, Marco says Eva was on TV today. Folks should know that I, my, my, uh, my, my fantasy mystery crush, uh, somebody I've not talked to yet, Eva Van Dingerbroek, the most beautiful woman in the world today, uh, my favorite reporter who I really want to talk to, not because she's drop-dead gorgeous, uh, although that certainly helps, but because she's, uh, she has a degree in legal philosophy. And I've never heard of that. But it sounds like something that we would be able to use um, on Action Radio and, and talk together uh, about it and see if uh, she'd be a connection in, in Europe that might uh, pick up on Action Radio and pick up on citizen legislation. I think she'd be really interested if I could talk to her. So Marco says, on the Dutch radio this morning about the Greek boat. Yeah, so everybody knows about this boat. And, and uh, you want to have sympathy, but don't, because basically they're trying to break into Greece illegally. It's called a migrant boat. Well, don't go. You know, these countries, you know, if you protect your borders, then people won't be, be stupid enough to try and come in on a boat with 700 people that is meant to hold, I don't know, 100 at the most, maybe. Anyway, he says, although only young men were saved from the sea, that doesn't mean there were only young men on the boat. And that's for sure. Um, the reason I'm reading uh, the comments on live chat is if you're listening on a podcast, you don't get live chat. 
So, Marco, I don't know if you heard about this. Yesterday, we had Dr. Brian Artis on in a surprise visit. Somehow, we had a miscommunication, and I didn't know he was going to call in yesterday. So, check the last hour from yesterday. It was uh, actually the last hour and 20 minutes. An amazing, amazing discussion. That was kind of cool. So, again, I'm just improvising today where, where, you know, nobody's here. Uh, The second hour, I've got something which I think will be really interesting, uh, and that is uh, one of my recordings from WEBY. And, uh, oh, you were here yesterday for, okay, that's right. You were here. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Marco's getting me up to date here. So I get to answer Marco directly to save me trying to type in, um, because it's easier to talk, <laughs> you know, so he types in, so that's why I read what he says. And I'll just say what I say. Uh, cause if I have to type, I have to reach around my microphone and type and it gets messy. Uh, I can do that when other people are talking, but not as much when I'm talking, you try typing while you're saying something different. It's not easy. You kind of lose track, you know, compartmentalizing the brain. Anyway, so if you can get a message to Eva Van Dingerbroek, tell her she's got a fan in the United States, and I want to talk to her about uh, citizen legislation and, and see if that fits into her legal philosophy. So that, uh, um, that uh, to me, would be fabulous fun. So all these folks I want to talk to. So we're still working on a couple things. One, um, from our interview with uh, Tony Lyons, who's the Skyhorse Publishing, uh, hopefully getting my book back on the market, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Uh, Marco, have you ever wanted to learn to fly? Now, flying in Europe is really expensive because they, uh, they put so much tax on the price of fuel. Uh, it's really expensive here, too, uh, for, for reasons of fuel uh, and also because they make it too expensive. <laughs> you know, the, um, hopefully more people will learn to fly and then the cost might come down. Uh, back in the 70s, especially uh, 60s and 70s, we had like a million and a half pilots in the country. Now there's less than half a million. Uh, and we have a lot more people. So, so it's much, a much fewer percentage of the population knows how to fly an airplane. Yeah, the airplane's more expensive, the airspace is more expensive, uh, but even so, you know, I, I want to get a massive, you know, general aviation uh, renaissance bill to make it much more accessible for people to be able to fly. First thing I do is make it tax deductible. So Marco says, I've only flown two times in my life from Eindhoven to Hamburg and back. Yeah, that's commercial. You've got to get a small plane. Europe's got some really good regulations on small airplanes. So we call them light sport aircraft here. Uh, in Europe, uh, it's a similar thing. These Rotax engines. In Europe, they don't have the horsepower restrictions or the speed restrictions. So you have these little airplanes that cost almost nothing to operate. Still, like you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to buy the airplane, uh, which is very expensive. But uh, the fuel cost is nothing, and, and that's usually the operating cost um, is much different. Yeah, you're on an airliner, Marco, so that, that's that's different. But uh, aviation, uh, yeah, propeller plane. Yeah, it's, it's, what do you think of seeing propellers out there? <laughs> I'm used to it because I've worked with propellers all the time. Um, but uh, most people who are used to jets, they see propellers spinning around. It's like, oh, that's kind of weird. No, that's how airplanes got started. I mean, the Wright brothers uh, invented the propeller, basically. And their propeller was like 80% efficient. And the most efficient propeller now is like 88%. So we've only improved about 8% on the Wright brothers, <laughs> you know, who uh, you know, didn't have the, the computers, the, uh, the, the CAD CAM CIC design or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, oh, on the way back to lightning and turbulence, everyone was scared. Uh, I was having the time of my life. <laughs> yeah. See, now, so that's interesting, Marco. So you, you had a, a natural, uh, you know, safety feeling, even though you had thunder and lightning out there. Yeah, people don't realize it's not the thunder and lightning that's the problem. It's the ground. You know, hitting the ground is the problem. Airplanes are not made to hit the ground. Uh, they're, they are made to fly through thunder and lightning. Uh, they're all grounded. You can, air, lightning can strike an airplane. It doesn't matter. It's all got, you know, protected circuits and things like that. Um, the other thing, and it doesn't usually get hit that much because it's not grounded. It's not sitting on the ground. But if it did, the rubber tire is protected just like they protect you in your, in your vehicle. Um, but what's interesting is the turbulence. And people go, oh, no, the plane's going to fall apart. No, because there's a speed 
And they can calculate this. Uh, this is for your information too, Marco. They can calculate a speed by which, no matter how bad the turbulence, the airplane will stall the wing, not the engines, the wing will stall and take all the G-forces. It's the G-forces that, that bend airplanes. So as long as you protect the airplane from G-forces, excessive G-forces, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. So stalling is actually a good thing because it goes to zero G, and zero G puts no stress on the airplane. So even in a thunderstorm, if you get too fast an updraft and the airplane stalls because the, the air can't get over the wing, well, you're in zero G. Well, you put the nose down a little bit, the air starts flowing over the wing, and you're back to normal flying. Or if you get a downdraft from above, same thing. Wing stalls out, goes to zero G, you lower the nose, and you get back flying again. Happens all the time in a thunderstorm. So, Marco, if you remember some severe updrafts and severe downdrafts, that's pretty much what a th- thunderstorm is. You know, the air rises in the middle and descends around the outside. You know, that, that, that air, fast-rising air, you know, can turn in a rain into hail way up high. <laughs> that's what we had here the other day, hail, which is unusual. Anyway, so, yeah. So, so Marco, you should be a pilot. You might want to take aerobatics or, or do a, go up in a sailplane. It's really kind of fun without the engine. But just get a message to Eva for me that I want to talk to her about uh, legal philosophy. and Because uh, it's radio, so I, you know, it's, it's got like the biggest blue eyes in the world. So uh, you know, uh, I, I, I wonder sometimes uh, how reporters you know, talk to incredibly gorgeous reporters and, and they, they try and keep the straight face. They don't want to make any uh, you know, obvious remarks like, oh, my God, you're absolutely gorgeous. You know? So that's something I would say just because I'm me. But anyway, we're, we're all over the place this morning. So we talked about Brian Artis. We talked about the other stuff. Let me, um, well, what we talked with Brian. With Brian, we talked about snake venom. We talked about uh, vaccine legislation. We talked about the lack of will to do anything. We talked about the, the legal conference in Atlanta that I wasn't invited to, so I couldn't tell them about vaccine product liability. Uh, I don't think we talked about the trial lawyers. So we had the National Trial Lawyers Association, who would make billions of dollars off settlements in vaccine liability and big tech liability, and yet they won't take up our bill and lobby them. There's a disconnect. There's a massive disconnect. And I'm not really sure how or why or what's going on with it, but there is just a massive disconnect. The other thing is, too, is I'm getting tired of playing my commercials. I need more commercials, but to get more commercials, I need more sponsors. So, uh, so that's, that's one thing. Uh, now, I'm always going to have um, my, my book, <laughs> you know, and hopefully my book will be a lot bigger. So working on getting the book really big. So yesterday's show was big. Uh, the show Friday was big with, with Tony. Um, and uh, so just give you the last little thing before I take a break here. So Tony, the publisher of Skyhorse Publishing, uh, is going to help my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction, but also we're working on something that I think will be absolutely fascinating, and that is getting Alan Dershowitz on the show. And I wanted to talk to him uh, like I don't think he's ever been talked to before, certainly on media, and that would be to challenge him on the Constitution and the constitutionality of the Supreme Court, because I think they're screwing up. I think they're a judicial tyranny. I think they've completely abused their power. I think the, uh, the original case in 1803 or 5 of Marbury versus Madison, where they gave themselves the power of judicial review and gave themselves the power to not only uh, um, you know, say what's constitutional, but uh, interpret the Constitution, which they can't do, say what the Constitution means, and then implement a policy. They can't do it. You know, anyway, so back to, back to Eva. So <laughs> Marco, do you think she's the most gorgeous woman in the world today too? I mean, just to see what Marco thinks. He says, I'm, not, uh, I'm looking at her picture. She has the same color eyes as I have, not pure blue, but blue-green. Well, listen, if, if I can uh, do a video and, and uh, take a look at uh, Eva Vendinglerbrook's you know, blue-green eyes, I'll be really happy. I'll probably get totally distracted from my topic. That's probably why I should interview her on radio. So, uh, but uh, the voice would do it for me too. So anyway, that, that's, my, uh, that's, that's somebody on, my, on the, you know, I most want to have dinner and talk to people. And one of them is, is uh, Eva Vendinglerbrook, just because. 
All right, so back to the topic. So um, um, liability. And so I don't understand the national trial lawyers. So all it would take is millions of dollars in lobbying to get billions of dollars in returns. And I don't know why they're not doing it. It doesn't make any sense. So we've got to get beyond this disconnect. And I think the best way to do that is to connect with the Trump campaign and have Donald Trump start talking about our citizen legislation. And uh, yeah, to be the kiss of death, you know, like hydroxychloroquine was in some ways, but in other ways, the conservatives and the independents would go, oh, well, that's interesting. If Trump thinks it's serious, maybe we should look into this. And that's what I'm hoping. So that's what we'll, we'll see happen. But um, I got to get to the Trump campaign. And this is why I'm working uh, on getting Matt Gates back on the show. So if I get Matt Gates back on the show and I talk to him Friday at a rally, then he'll, you know, talk about stuff. Hopefully that'll, he'll be on the national news. That'll get Trump. You know, of course, he has him on speed dial, <laughs> so he can, he can tell Trump directly. Uh, but either way, we need to get our legislation out there um, from illegal alien uh, asset forfeiture, uh, big tech liability, vaccine liability, and our, our big one we talked about. Actually, I talked about this with Brian yesterday, our constitutional amendment um, to ban Congress from borrowing money. So how does that fit into vaccines? Well, actually, it's pretty simple. The, uh, he says, um, I was talking to Brian, he says, we're looking, you know, so wh- why didn't we have a different solution? Why, why did they have to, uh, you know, kill all those people? And eventually we came to depopulation. And one of the things that Brian talked about, he said, well, yeah, we've got uh, a social security problem. We've got too many old people. So they figure they can't afford to, the old people. So if they kill them off, they don't have to pay for their social security. And I said, well, there's a better way. I said, these people are so stupid. They don't even think about alternatives. Uh, outside their little box. Well, too many people, got to kill them. That's, what the, that's the way the, the globalists think, right? So I said, if we take away the power of Congress to borrow money, uh, then we get massive deflation. The, uh, the prices go down. The cost of living goes down. People's savings go up. They won't need as big a, a Social Security and Medicare because the, the dollar would be worth so much more that instead of getting uh, you know, $1,500 a month, they might get $1,000 a month uh, and be able to buy more stuff with 1000 than they used to buy with 1500 at a lower value. So the answer to Social Security is deflation. And the way you get deflation is you stop Congress borrowing money. Because when they stop borrowing, they stop printing. When they stop printing, um, then the currency stabilizes. When the currency stabilizes, you don't need the Federal Reserve. In fact, you don't need any central bank because the currency is stabilized because we're not printing. We're not borrowing. That's what all inflation comes from. All inflation comes from Congress borrowing money. You stop Congress borrowing money, you stop inflation. There's no big mystery here. And we know this is how it works, right? So all these different things can happen. Uh, once we get uh, stuff going. All right, it's 7.30. It's a big time to take a break. I'm, I'm usually good for about half an hour of, of uh, you know, mindless rambling, and then I'll get to some articles and, uh, and tell you what's going on. I've got, like I say, a lot of different uh, topics here. We're going to be all over. I, I don't even know which one to take first. I'll figure it out uh, as I'm playing stuff. But uh, anyway, uh, it's 7.30 here in uh, Central Time in Milton, Florida, on the Gulf Coast of uh, the Gulf of Mexico, up in the northwest corner of Florida in the Panhandle. And let me just play something here. Let's start for this one. Let's get some sponsors. Get some folks uh, helping us out here. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. 
few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery? Alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care. Better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. 
from the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Well, I think I've got uh, most of my announcements and things out of the way. Uh, I was noticing on my, my Facebook Twitter section of my, my template for the shows, it says, uh, you know, see the desktop. So I, a couple of things that I found very interesting on Facebook. And so I post those. And I'm going to uh, uh, read those now. So let me, uh, here's the first one. Let me pull this one up here. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Uh, this is from Thomas Sowell, who says, people will forgive you for being wrong, but they will never forgive you for being right, especially if events prove you were right while proving them wrong. And that's pretty much what's happened to the action radio. I mean, we were right about uh, uh, the COVID vaccine being not necessary because we had uh, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin uh, and the other, uh, the other things that uh, take care of it, vitamin D3, vitamin C, um, zinc, azithromycin, that kind of stuff. So we, are, we, we knew back in March of 2020 that uh, there was no reason for a vaccine. We also knew that it was a hoax because they got rid of the cures and promoted something that was experimental. Well, that, you know, that's a hoax too. And then when we find out there's money, you know, in that experimental drug, uh, we knew that was that was a hoax as well. And then when we found out that remdesivir, which has nothing to do with uh, COVID and getting rid of coronavirus, this is actually deadly itself, was being brought in, and then people were being put on ventilators, and they were being killed. You know, people didn't die of COVID in the hospitals; they died of remdesivir and ventilators, um, particularly bacterial pneumonia, blowing the lungs out, all kinds of other horrible things happened to people. They didn't die of COVID. COVID wasn't that bad. COVID deaths basically ended. Uh, natural COVID deaths from the first strain ended in July of 2020. I've got the CDC chart to prove it. In fact, it's on every one of my shows now. I had that CDC chart. You look at it, it says it goes from January to uh, July of 2020. And it shows that uh, the death started in pretty much early February. Uh, they peaked April 15th, and they're pretty much gone by July. That's a real CDC chart that you will never find anymore. But I keep publishing it on my show every single day. Uh, so you won't see it on the slide today because we're live. But look at yesterday's show and pretty much every day uh, other than that, although I have a couple more I have to get to. But uh, there it is. There it is, the CDC chart that says that COVID ended. That's when they went to cases and started fudging the information and then uh, doing everything else that was illegal. But we knew. We knew. We, knew, we had COVID figured out about two weeks from uh, mid-February um, to uh, the beginning of March. We basically documented everything. And our March 2nd show, uh, which anybody can go to, you know, just look for uh, COVID, what we say, coronavirus, elderberries, and something else, you know, uh, March 2nd of 2020. And we said, hey, this, uh, don't need a vaccine. We got cures. You know, we even had elderberries to boost your immune system. I said, what are these people all fussing about? Because articles were coming out then that uh, COVID was no big deal. It's a flu bug. You know, it was uh, not that severe, uh, unless you were old or had uh, comorbidities. But if you were weak in your immune system, yeah, it was severe, but then so is a cold, you know. So we already knew. We knew this was a hoax. We knew this was a government plan. We knew that uh, it was just designed to take your rights away. And we also figured out pretty quickly, too, that the, uh, the masks, the social distance, the closures, the, uh, the limiting of businesses selectively to those that weren't you know, big owners to government, um, was all, that was all part of the hoax. And those were designed to save COVID, not save people. Because if you want to save people, we win you from basic immunity that you, you get the disease to as many people as possible, as quickly as possible, who are healthy enough to get over it, and you build up a, a huge you know, herd immunity that's literally the audience. And so you have enough people that have gotten it, gotten over it, and built up their immunity, so they're not going to get it again, and the virus has no place to go, so it dies out. I mean, that's how you stop a virus. You know, the worst viruses, there's always some people that, uh, that don't die from it. And from those people, you build up immunity. But for COVID, which is never that big a deal, COVID itself is never that big a deal. 
um, than what well, was a big deal with the government response and the uh, the lockdowns and then the uh, the vaccine mandates, which really spread the disease and created all the um, um, all the, the variations. The mutations were all caused by uh, the COVID shot, which systematically reduced your immunity uh, to to, uh, to variants. <laughs> That's what it does. So remember, the, anything coming out of big pharma is uh, is a marketing device to get you to buy more drugs from big pharma. And that's how it works. What was Brian Artis saying yesterday that uh, drugs for cholesterol um, take away your cholesterol, but cholesterol is necessary to produce hormones and, uh, you know, things like dopamine, which make you feel good, and uh, uh, serotonin, which make you feel good. So, so if you take away the cholesterol, then people get depressed because they don't have the cholesterol to make their serotonin and dopamine. So then you get antidepressants and you get more drugs that way. Uh, and there was another, another topic that I mentioned, too. Uh, and you have to take, oh, yeah, low testosterone. So you get rid of the cholesterol. Men get low testosterone. So now they end up taking all those Viagra drugs. And, uh, you know, you get the athletes pushing the, 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 the low T drugs. So every, market, so every drug in big pharma is designed to market two or three more drugs. Got a little bit of rain out there. So if the show cuts off suddenly, uh, we get a big thunderstorm that, uh, that will tend to, uh, to knock us out here. Uh, hasn't happened for a while, but you never know. Check the weather real quick. Give you an idea of what's going on in Milton, Florida right now. Tornado watch. Oh, that's exciting. Well, it's uh, until 3 o'clock. Okay, so I'll be watching. Rain, 9 o'clock, oh, 8 o'clock, 40%, 9 o'clock, 40%, 10 o'clock, 40%, and by then off the air, so I don't care. Weather screen doesn't look too bad. Uh, looks like some rain scattered around here. Let's see what we got here. Uh, let's get the moving forecast. Let's see where the clouds are moving. Yeah, there's one moving over us pretty much right now, but there's nothing that big in the area, so I think we should be okay thus ending our weather forecast. All right, so back to the, um, the, the other meme that I found. And this is by a friend of mine uh, who's from China, uh, lives in the United States now. And he said, if you understand the communist pandemic in Eastern Europe and Hitler and the Nazis, the Chinese Communist Party and, and Mao Zedong and Xi Jinping are 10 times worse than those that took place in Eastern Europe. He says, when you open a door for the CCP, that's the Chinese Communist Party, it will give you corruption and virus and break all the rules of law you have for law and order. Uh, obviously, English to, I mean, Chinese is, is my friend's native language, obviously. Uh, and then he says, on the verge of the CCP collapse, let me say that again, on the verge of the CCP collapse, no mercy and no more help should be given in order to get rid of the CCP, the human evil. So most people in China know, and, and uh, Gordon Chang and a bunch of other folks that analyze China know, that the Chinese Communist Party, like all communist states, is going to collapse because their economy sucks. Now, they got a lot of power, a lot of money, and they spread it around the world, and they've got a lot of influence, and they've done some really terrible things. But quite honestly, they can't sustain it at home because they, they, they killed all the, the girl babies, so that's a problem. Uh, so now you've got millions of men. You can only put so many in the army. You know, uh, sooner or later, they're going to want families. There's only so many illegal Chinese you can dump in our country. So they're headed for collapse. And so the best thing we can do for, for China, uh, since it's our State Department that, that allowed Mao Zedong to take power in China in the first place, by abandoning Chiang Kai-shek and, and by keeping weapons uh, destined for Chiang Kai-shek on our uh, docks, they should have gone to Chiang Kai-shek, who ended up uh, moving the, the nationalist government to Taiwan. That's, why, that's how Taiwan got created was that the, the, the democratically elected Chiang Kai-shek, you know, who had a Western-style, constitutional-style government, which we, of course, approved of, uh, but uh, they did themselves. We didn't dictate a, a, um, a constitution to China anyway. But uh, there was a civil war going on at the same time as World War II was going on. So our State Department, a bunch of leftist, fascist, communist, you know, Nazis in our State Department, armed Mao Zedong against Chiang Kai-shek. 
which is horrible because as soon as Mao Zedong took over, you know, they did horrible things to all of China, killed 100 million people. But he was also responsible for fighting us in Korea and Vietnam. So the theory goes that uh, if the State Department had just stayed out of it and, we'd, uh, and the Truman administration had continued to support Chiang Kai-shek and they had uh, you know, been the dominant government in China, no communist revolution, you would have had communist Russia, but you would have had uh, you know, more of a, uh, uh, a free republic of China like Taiwan is, you know, then Russia would have been no problem. So we could have contained Russia, kept China as a, uh, as a, a should I say, Western democracy, you know, or whatever, they were, whatever government they formed, but it was still, you know, basically a constitutional government. There would have been no Vietnam War, no Korean War, uh, and uh, we would have saved trillions of dollars. Same thing with uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. There's no reason for those either. And Tucker Carlson pointed that out the other day. He said the reason they hate Trump is because he stopped all their foreign wars and their trillions of dollars for no reason. What, six, seven trillion for Afghanistan alone? That's big money. Anyway, pull a couple of articles for you here in uh, a little bit of time and we'll get to something else. Again, this is Ramble Day. This is like catch up day. So I found, let me get one of the recent here. So there's something called Agenda 47 because it's really good. So the media is never going to say anything good about Trump. They just, they're just physically incapable of doing so. Let's move something around my screen a little bit here so I can see things. All right, here we go. So this is from Real Clear Politics, and it was written uh, by Tim Haynes, H-A-I-N-S, June 6th, so D-Day of this year. So just a, a few days ago. We're June 16th, so 10 days ago. He says, Trump Agenda 47, item, federal government must investigate unexplained alarming rise in autism, infertility, allergies, and obesity. And this is one of the things I talked about the other day, yesterday. Uh, when I mentioned, no, it was Monday, when I went over Trump's uh, agenda, Trump's basic plank for 2024 um, from, uh, from what his speeches were in uh, Georgia and North Carolina. And one of the things he talked about was this kind of study. Now, this, this is something that, uh, that RFK, Robert Francis Kennedy Jr., uh, is working on. So my personal, oh, pouring rain out there right now. My personal feeling, behind the scenes, I can't prove it, <laughs> but behind the scenes, I think Trump and Robert Francis Kennedy are talking. And the reason I think they were talking is because of this common agenda item between them and because they are the only candidates uh, of their parties who are despised by their parties. They're not establishment. They don't, don't owe. You know, so anybody that likes Ron DeSantis, you've got to understand Ron DeSantis uh, owes. He owes for, uh, for the money that he gets from the deep state. You know, all these folks, Nikki Haley, all of them, Mike Pence owes everything because he basically, you know, sold his soul to the deep state devil uh, in getting rid of Trump illegally and making it possible for Brandon to illegally get in the White House um, on the uh, condition that he would get a Republican nomination in 2020, 2024, excuse me, 2024. Well, Mike Pence, I'm sorry to tell you that's not going to happen. You were used because you're an idiot. You know, so he, uh, he basically did something horrible uh, thinking he would get the Republican nomination. I'm sure they promised him whoever the, you know, the, the head of the parties, the Ronald McDaniels and, or which is, you know, Mitt Romney's niece, and they probably said, uh, Mike Pence, let me tell you, Mike, you know, we have, a, we have a mission for you. For the good of the country, we, we need you to uh, sabotage the Trump campaign. But uh, the Constitution says, you know, I, the, the states uh, determine the electors, and we can send our, the Trump electors back to the states and let them handle it. Uh, Mike, well, you've got to understand here that we uh, can't take any chances. We can't have Trump get elected. We need Brandon in the White House to be able to... Uh, you know, get trillions of dollars illegally and carry out all the illegal things that we're doing. Of course, I'm not going to say that, but that's, that's kind of what the, that's the gist. Well, Mike, Mike, if you want to be the, 
nominee of the Republican Party in 2024, we can kind of uh, create a pathway for you. We can smooth away. Uh, all we ask is a little favor in return. And then we got our mafia voice. So I'll tell you what, you want to be the Republican uh, nominee in 2024, we got to get you to sabotage Trump in 2020. So here's the way it's going to work, okay? You're going to get up there and you say that you can't, uh, you can't have the, the, the Trump electors. You, you can't send them back to the states. You've got to make a decision, right? So you make a decision, you put Brendan in the White House, and we'll, we'll take care of the rest. And that's what, that was the deal. That was the deal. So Mike Pence made the deal from hell because he's an idiot thinking he was going to get the, Republic, the Republican nomination. He's not going to because he's an idiot. <laughs> we already got one idiot in the White House. How many, how many idiots do you need? So, uh, I mean, the, the idiocracy has already been filled by the biggest idiot of all, uh, Brandon. I got to find that tape he made um, of when he, told, when he mentioned in his early days that he was a political prostitute and would say anything for money. I got to find that. It's actually out there. All right, so back to the agenda. So Agenda 47. So I think that... Uh, because um, Robert Francis Kennedy is hated by the Democrats, uh, everybody as much as Donald Trump is hated by the Republicans, then I'm sure they're working together. So this is the, this is the untold story. This is my theory. This is the, that they are the non-deep state election, and they're going to work together somehow. So this is not a campaign of Democrats versus Republicans. This is a campaign of independent Trump and RFK against the establishment deep state. That's what the war is. That's what the election is. Excuse me. Well, it might be a war. All right, Agenda 47. So it says former President Trump why do they always say former? You notice that they never say former President Jimmy Carter. They just say President Jimmy Carter. Or, uh, well, maybe they do, but they really emphasize it with Trump. They always want to say former as a way of convincing you that uh, he didn't actually win in 2020, which he actually did. So this is former President Trump took a page out of RFK Jr.'s wheelhouse in his latest Agenda 47 campaign platform item called for, oh, I think his platform. Let me write that down. I'll get Trump's platform. I'll get his official platform compared to uh, the speech that... Uh, that I heard the other day. I actually heard both of them, Georgia and North Carolina. But I'll get Trump's platform. We'll go over it. Nobody else is. We might as well. All right. So Agenda 47 campaign platform item calling for a long overdue conversation about the alarming rise in chronic childhood illnesses, autism, infertility, allergies, and obesity. And, of course, the, 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 uh, the deep state media will tell you that uh, there's no connection between vaccines <laughs> You know, and autism, infertility, allergies, and obesity, which means there's guaranteed to be a connection between vaccines and autism, infertility, allergies, and obesity because the denials are just too funny and comical and stupid. Article says President Donald Trump, I didn't say former, (laughs) in recent decades, uh, oh, Trump said this, in recent decades, there has been unexplained and alarming growth in the prevalence of chronic illnesses and health problems, especially in children. We've seen a stunning rise in autism, autoimmune disorders, obesity, infertility, serious autoimmune be like lupus, right? Uh, infertility, uh, in serious allergies. Yeah, what's, what's with this peanut stuff? I think, I think kids are, when I was a kid, nobody was ever allergic to peanuts or anything. We, you know, it just didn't happen because we, we had good systems. And respiratory challenges, asthma. You know, asthma, I remember one kid in Australia had asthma. And he, he had to explain what it was because we had no clue. Now every, like, third kid has it, right? Anyway, Trump says it's time to ask what's going on. Well, actually, Robert Francis Kennedy said that 30 years ago. (laughs) Anyway, he says, Trump says, is it it in the food that they eat, the environment that we live in, the overprescription of certain medications? Is it the toxins and chemicals that are present in our homes? It's probably all of the above, right? Every year we spend hundreds of billions of dollars to treat these chronic problems rather than looking at what is causing them in the first place. Well, see, that's by design. 
See, big pharma creates the problem by making up the disease, and then they give you a solution to it, which they say will stop the disease, but it actually makes it easier for you to get it. It's a marketing device, right? I've been over that. Trump says, too often our public health establishment is too close to big pharma. No, you know what? <laughs> no, no crap there, Trump. <laughs> yeah, close to big pharma. They made a lot of money, big pharma. He says, big corporations and other special interests, uh, and that does, that does not want to ask the tough questions about what's happening to our children's health. Well, they don't have to ask the tough questions because they know what's happening to our kids' health is by design because they make money off it. It's all about money. Brian Artis revealed yesterday that uh, most of the, the board members on the, the, of these big pharmaceutical companies, uh, they're not pharmacists. They're not doctors. They're bankers. Why are bankers running big pharma? Well, because there's money in it. So they don't care how many people kill as long as they, uh, the, the, the bean counters make money. And so they calculate how many people will die versus how much the lawsuits will be versus uh, you know, what the liability is. Well, there is no liability for vaccines. There's liability for other things. It's interesting that they say, well, we, we can't have liability for vaccines. We'll have no vaccines. Well, if none of them are safe and can stand up to liability, then we should not have vaccines. We don't need them anyway. You know, they, don't, they don't do what they say they do. <laughs> they actually make things worse. And if you get the disease that they're trying to give you the vaccine for, that's you know, almost always curable. Diphtheria. Tetanus, polio, polio was different, but uh, polio was stopped by chlorine in the swimming pools and better sewers. Polio is an E. coli poop bacteria. It is. Once you know what it is, then, well, the solution to E. coli and things like that is cleaner sewers, cl- fresh water, and uh, you know, chlorine in the swimming pools. It's not a big mystery. Anyway, he says if big pharma defrauds American patients and taxpayers and puts profits above people, <laughs> which they do, uh, they must be investigated and held accountable. When I'm back in the White House, I will establish a special presidential commission of independent minds who are not bought and paid for by big pharma to investigate what is causing the deaths, decades-long excuse me, increase in chronic illnesses. I understand big pharma. I believe better than anyone else. I know where they're from. Yeah, you probably used to go to dinner with those people, which would surprise me. So then the question is, I'll get back to Marco here, um, is Robert Francis Kennedy going to head up this panel? He should. Robert Francis Kennedy should actually be Secretary of Health and Human Services uh, and, direct, and fix the FDA and the CDC and the NIH and all the other uh, health Nazis. Since Dr. Fascist will be gone, I call him Dr. Fascist and the health Nazis. So uh, uh, hopefully the, the, if Dr. Fascist will, will be gone, they'll just have the health Nazis to deal with. There's plenty of them out there. Rochelle Walensky, you know, uh, Burks, you know, Redfield, all those people. All right, so Marco says, uh, big farmer doesn't want you to recover. They want you to stay sick so they can make money. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what they want. Actually, what they want you to do is take something you think is a cure, but actually is a marketing device to, make, to keep you sick by destroying your immune system. So they're even more insidious than you think they are. All right, let's get to another uh, favorite topic of mine, Schedule F. Schedule F is going to save us from a lot of problems in the federal government. That's why nobody reports on it, which is why I do. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right, guys, what's it, what, what, give me some stupid ad here. I don't want the stupid ad. Thank you very much. So the website is FCW, which stands for the uh, – uh, it's got here the Business of Federal Technology. Let me see if I can find you what the actual website is. What's well, FCW? I'm what FCW is. Go to the bottom, FCW not going to tell me. Okay, fine. Be that way. But the, it's the subtitle, The Business of Federal Technology. Well, you can find, just put FCW. Uh, and you'll get it. And then we have an article here, Trump orders, Trump order creates Schedule F to speed hiring and firing in key positions. 
This is from uh, 2020. This is actually right before the 2020 election, October 21st, 2020. About three weeks, three weeks before the election. So, so if Trump was uh, able to keep the office that he won uh, in 2020, we'd have Schedule F. So this is the October 21 executive order. So apparently this was, it was written just right before the election. The October 21 executive order looks to reshape the competitive service by allowing agencies to reclassify policy jobs under a new schedule and give senior managers greater flexibility in hiring candidates and hiring employees. He should have done this day one, you know, back in 2016, but he didn't. And, of course, a lot of the distractions kept him busy, you know, two impeachments, a couple of bogus investigations, things like that. But, uh, schedule, but schedule F basically takes the civil service position and makes them, you know, competitive hiring positions. So apparently it's only for 50,000 employees. Hopefully it's the right 50,000. But I would make it for – I would make all federal employees under Schedule F, you know, just like the rest of us. <laughs> you know, the private sector have to operate under, under a similar kind of thing. So the article author is Natalie Ames, A-I-M-S, staff reporter – for net next gov slash FCW. And I'm still trying to find what FCW stands for. She says the Trump administration created a new category of civil servant dubbed Schedule F in an October 21st executive order that establishes new hiring and firing flexibilities for agencies across a range of oh, read that. She says the new classification will include employees, quote, confidential, policy determining, policy making, or policy advocating character. So in other words, not the secretaries, managers, you know, accountants, things like that, people that actually make policy. So in other words, you've got 4,000 appointees, uh, and below that you've got maybe another 50,000 people that make policy. Those are the ones who would be able to be fired uh, and not be, have civil service protection. He says, she says, excuse me, according to the executive order, see, I believe in he and she pronouns appropriately, okay? You know, your, your, your pronouns are I and me. You know, uh, singular pronouns are he, she. Um, and, uh, I, you know, what is it? I guess he and she, uh, the, the plural pronouns are we, they, and them. And that's about it. Once you know your pronouns, you're all set. You can speak English. If you, if you don't know your pronouns, you can't speak English. You know, you are not a they, <laughs> not a singular. Oh, you is a, is a plural also as in you people. Okay. Back to the thing here. Um, he says that a confidential policy determining policy making or policy advocating character, according to the executive order, which are not normally subject to change as a result of a presidential transition. So he wants to make so 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 instead of having the the Colonel Vimmons who spied on Trump and the uh, the Deborah Burks and the the Dr. Fascist who destroyed uh, our government and our people, you know, who are permanent bureaucrats, gets rid of the permanent bureaucrats. All the folks. Uh, the, uh, the McCabe's and the, the Strucks and, and the FBI and the Chris Ray's and all those folks. Well, Chris Ray might be appointed. I'm not sure. But anyway, it, it's another level down further to get rid of corruption in the federal government. It's, it's brilliant, and we have to have it. Like I say, I would make it for all federal employees. It, she says, under this order, under the order, the federal agencies have 90 days to complete a preliminary review of positions to be re- reclassified under the order uh, with final determination due in 210 days. That So that's Anyway, it says that puts the first deadline at January 19th, 2021, right before January 20th, uh, one day before the scheduled presidential inauguration. So in other words, this was a transition executive order. So, so Trump, you know, assuming that he won, which he did, uh, he makes an executive order right before the election uh, and then um, carries it through up into transition so that when he's inaugurated, he can then, you know, put all those folks under Schedule F and fire their asses. All right. It says some job functions listed as likely candidates for reclassification under Schedule F include the supervision of attorneys, the drafting of regulation and policy advocacy, 
positions housed in the very top executive tiers of agencies and their roles that involve negotiating collective bargaining agreements. So in other words, all the people that the movers and shakers, all the people that screw up the uh, the lives of Americans because they're too powerful in government, they would then come under Schedule F and, and we could fire their ass. That's what he so The order also requires agencies to expeditiously petition, petition excuse me, the federal, government, the federal Labor Relations Authority for approval to remove a, a reclassified Schedule F job from a bargaining unit, uh, eliminating union participation. Trump administration couched the order in language of efficient government. I would uh, couch it in the language of preserving freedom. Because that's what it does. Because these, these permanent bureaucrats are, are against freedom. Um, I would do one, one more thing. And I want to talk to uh, Matt Gates and uh, Donald Trump about this. And that is to rescind uh, JFK's order creating federal unions. So there's no law that authorizes federal government unions. It was an executive order. So although he hasn't said anything, he may not want to campaign on it. One of the first things Trump should do is repeal the executive order that allows for federal unions uh, federal employee unions and get rid of them because federal employees should not be able to unionize because they don't bargain with their, their, their boss, which is the taxpayer. They don't bargain with the people paying the freight, the taxpayer. They bargain with politicians who use them to, to buy votes. So they use taxpayer money to give federal employees ridiculously good contracts uh, with the provision that their members will then vote for those same politicians. Well, that's bribery. That's extortion. That's corruption. Can't do that. <laughs> you know, so the way to, to, to solve that problem is to get rid of the federal unions. And the way to get rid of the federal, federal unions is to repeal JFK's order. What is it? 11125, something. What, you, look, you can look it up. Uh, that authorized federal employee unions in the first place. All right. A little bit more on this, and then uh, I'm going to play you something kind of cool. So the Trump administration couched the order in language of efficient government. Here's the quote. Separating employees who cannot or will not meet required performance standards is important and is particularly important with regard to employees in confidential policy-determining, policy-making, or policy-advocating positions, the order states. <laughs> High performance by such employees can meaningfully enhance agency operations, while poor performance can significantly hinder them. Well, that's obvious. The or- yeah, Captain Obvious, as, as Derek would say. The order notes that, quote, senior agency officials report that poor performance by career employees in policy-relevant positions has resulted in long delays and substandard quality work for important agency projects, such as drafting and issuing regulations. That's not exactly why this is important. Why it's important is because senior agency officials uh, and career employees in policy-making positions do whatever they damn well please. That's the problem. They do whatever they damn well please. They don't care. They don't care one bit. So they, they make horrendous policies. They violate what the president says, like the State Department that didn't give arms to Chiang Kai-shek, resulting in Mao Zedong taking over China. The State Department did that. Not the Congress, not the president. Truman wanted just the opposite. The State Department held up arms on the ducks secretly, didn't let them go to, to uh, Chiang Kai-shek, and they lost the war because they, they didn't have the guns to fight back. So they escaped to Taiwan, set up a, a free market, free society, republic, the Republic of China, rocked. ROC, the Republic of China. ROC in, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Old Taiwan? Actually, it's funny going to San Francisco's Chinatown because you'll see uh, flags for the Republic of China, in other words, Taiwan, and Communist China, in other words, China, <laughs> you know, uh, or Taiwan is, is China too. Anyway, so this is why I had that big uh, claim way back when, when I wanted um, Donald Trump to pull a Reagan. Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. 
Well, I was hoping that uh, while Taiwan, um, excuse me, uh, Hong Kong, while Hong Kong was still a viable, somewhat free city, you know, I wanted Trump to get up on his podium and say, Xi Jinping, let Hong Kong be Hong Kong. But he didn't do it. Missed opportunity. Sorry. Hey, listen, I said it to everybody. Word didn't get to Trump, so he never said it. Still not too late. We'll see what happens. Anyway, so the whole idea of Schedule F is to take the policy-making independent bureaucrats that do whatever they damn well please and finally make them accountable to the executive, which in this case, you know, Donald Trump. Last part of this is the order notes that senior... Okay, I already said that. This is one Trump political ally praised the order as draining the swamp. Yeah, sure would. <laughs> Completely draining the swamp. All right, so let me um, take another break here, and I'll come back, and I'll tell you about... There's more to this. I'm going to get the executive order for here. Let's see if they, uh, they post it. I should have this executive order. Let's take a look at it. Oh, not found. Oh, oh, not found. You know what that means? That means that Brandon, you know, illegal Brandon, um, took out executive order 21. I mean, it's the schedule F. He got rid of it. Not only did he abolish it, he got rid of it. He stripped it from the from the from the uh, the White House records. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> that's really interesting. All right, I'll play a couple more things. I'm gonna take a little break here. It is 8:05 in the second hour of the show, and what I'll be doing is uh, then I'll play you a, a really interesting WBY interview, uh, which I found quite fascinating. Play that. Play that. Play that. Let's start. Here we go. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website right your laws so you can get your energy drink a 20 percent discount and help action radio change the relationship of we the people to our government not bad strike force is at strikeforceenergy.com that's strikeforceenergy.com start your engine joe biden's dark winter no freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, 
and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Dangerously cool. Okay, we're back. It's Thursday the 16th uh, here in Milton, Florida, um, on the Gulf Coast of uh, Mexico. And uh, oh, on the Gulf of Mexico, <laughs> you know, on the coast anyway. Uh, Emerald Coast. And it's called the Emerald Coast because the water is green. <laughs> when you see it, you'll understand why it's called the Emerald Coast. Beautiful water. Unbelievably beautiful. Anyway, white sandy beach is the whole bit. Um, and we're up here near, uh, near the top of Florida, the northwest corner, um, with Alabama, you know, kind of all around us. And so you have the Gulf on one side, you've got Alabama on the other side, and the rest of Florida on the other side, and that's how it works. Anyway, so we have the world's most amazing beaches. We really do. There's this beautiful, fine powder, you know, quartz sand that comes down from Georgia, and it uh, gets to our beaches. And it's so reflective that you can get sunburned under an umbrella. So you think you're in the shade, but you're really not. You know, and people come home with, you know, deep, bad burns. You know, from the, well, I was under the umbrella all day. It didn't matter. The sand is so reflective, you can actually get sunburned off the sand. And so people need to know that. The other thing, we have rip currents here, too. Anyway, so I'm, I'm looking through my WEBY shows because I want to present all of them uh, all year and four months. Well, the good ones, anyway. Uh, I managed to get all my shows on my way out the door. And so I, I kept them there, you know, and I'm able to uh, play them uh, as we go through. And one of them I thought would be really interesting for this time of year because everybody's heading down to the beach and, you know, it's a great time. Uh, and you see these lifeguards and you think to yourself, oh, well, they're kind of fun. Baywatch, right? Yeah, Baywatch, babe. You know, and uh, you either want to be Dave. <laughs> well, I'll give, I won't spoil the lines. But anyway, uh, from the show. But, uh, yeah. So anyway, so, so Baywatch lifeguards, you know, huh, that sounds like fun. You know, the, or, or the other uh, the lifeguard portrayals in different movies and all that kind of stuff. And friends of mine have been lifeguards, too. Uh, kind of interesting. Anyway. So, um, so I thought it'd be interesting to play this because a lot of people are heading to the beach. Maybe I should have done it a couple months ago, but you know, I didn't think of it till, till just, uh, last night. I said, huh, what should I play for tomorrow? Knowing that CJ's out, uh, in the, in the third hour. So I want to have some fun here. So I found my lifeguard show and it's really interesting. And I, I think I've forgotten the name of the person. I think David Alexander, uh, he'll tell you. Um, so the information's a little bit old. Uh, I think the websites are still good. 
And considering they, they do lifeguard tryouts throughout the year, it doesn't really matter when I play this, but you can take the podcast and anybody who might be an aspiring lifeguard, not just here, but anywhere, it's, it's good information. So this originally aired uh, May 12th of 2017. So I've been in radio, so like two, two and a half months. And by then I was kind of getting the hang of it. So my first month was a little bit rough because I was brand new to it. Second month was, you know, better. But by the third month, I really started to feel like I was, I was able to handle it. Uh, you do something every day. You, you learn how to do it fast. Otherwise, you know, you're in trouble. Now, six years later, it's like, no, I can do this. I, I don't even stress on shows anymore, even if I don't have that much planned, like this morning. <laughs> you know, we seem to be doing okay. Um, so that's kind of how it works. Anyway, so you'll hear references to WEBY, Northwest Florida's News and Talk Leader, uh, the 636 phone number. None of that applies anymore. That station is gone. It was bought out. It's now a Fox sports station. It's a total waste because it was a really great station. Uh, it's one of the, the, the last truly independent uh, radio stations in the country. And now it's gone, like so many independent stations are gone, which is why so many of us in radio went to uh, Internet radio. So we could say what we wanted to say. You know, you know Tom Petty's song, The Last DJ? You should listen to that song. It's really great. You know, the boys upstairs don't understand. You know, so last DJ says what he wants to say, plays what he wants to play. Hey, hey, hey. So uh, listen to Tom Petty, The Last DJ, and you'll understand why I got out of regular radio and started broadcasting on my own even though there's a price to be paid because I didn't have a station. I didn't have the backing of a station. I didn't have the promotion of a station. It took a long time to get the audience going. And once I did, COVID struck and big tech took it away again. <laughs> so I've started over like three times. Anyway, uh, other than that, our phone number here, 215-383-3832. Uh, obviously, you can't call in during the time this is playing. It's about um, 43 minutes. Knock the volume back just a little bit here. I keep forgetting to do that. Um, but uh, that was really interesting. So I thought I'd play it now. Anyway. Uh, let's get going, and I'll talk to you uh, when it's over. This music is actually appropriate for our guest here. What do you think? I didn't think about that until just now. <laughs> little pipeline. Oh, yeah. And that's actually uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. And uh, Dick Dale. Dick Dale is the surf guitarist of oh, all yeah. time. So I'm a guitar player. So that's how I kind of picked that out. So I'm joined today by, by Alexander Johnson, whose name I keep trying to mess up, but I'll get it right. Alexander Johnson. That's yeah, right. that's correct. That sounds correct. good. Okay. Yeah. So you're the senior lifeguard uh, yeah. for Escambia County. Yeah. So how'd you get that gig? Uh, well, actually, I've been working as a lifeguard out on Pensacola Beach for 10 years now. Okay. Uh, I started in 2008. Um, in 2013, I, I moved out to be a full-time okay. supervisor. Um, so you can make a career out of being a lifeguard then. Yeah, somehow I found a way. Okay, know, that's great. So it's like, it's like one of those dream jobs people think about. Yeah, I'd love to be a lifeguard and be out in the surf and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's not all that glamorous uh, at times. I mean, it's not, it's not Baywatch. It's not quite Baywatch. Okay. But, uh, We've all seen that show. Yeah. You know, so we either want to be David Hasselhoff or, or, or you know, or, or, or be dating Pamela Anderson. It, right? Something like that. One yeah, of the two. Exactly. So those are that Is that show still playing? I'm sure the reruns are. Did, you, did anybody ever notice like an increase in lifeguard applications? Uh, from that series, is that one of those things that boosted it? Where people maybe said, back, I want to do that. Maybe back out? back then, but that, that was yeah. a little before my time. Okay, uh, just curious. Yeah, yeah. We're not gonna talk but about. You know, they're coming out with a new the new movie. What? They're coming out with a movie, a Baywatch movie with The Rock and Zac Efron. Oh my goodness! And I mean, it looks like they do more gunfighting and explosions than lifeguarding. What? But, yeah. That's not lifeguarding. Yeah. Well, you know. That's okay. When I, when I was in college, <laughs> Animal House came out, and we all thought that was a documentary. 
Yeah, so that's another story. Anyway, so so tell me about the. Um, in fact, people can call in anytime now. So the phones are open six two three thirteen thirty. Uh, if you want to talk to to Alexander about lifeguarding, if you if you're a parent and you have uh, you know one of your kids wants to try it, um, we're yeah. going to talk about the tryouts. Um, if you're thinking of um, you know working full time as a lifeguard, how do you get into that? Um, one question I thought about um, for for people that, that lifeguard because you can start as early as sixteen, right? Yeah, with us you can start at sixteen. Okay, so if someone wanted to be like a first responder or go into because you have first aid training, um, mm-hmm. be like an ambulance person or firefighter or police or medical training, maybe doctor stuff uh, right. or even military, this might be a great first job. Oh, it absolutely. Uh, actually, uh, a large number of our alumni are nurses or okay. in nursing school. We have a couple of PAs. We've What's got a PA, uh, a physician assistant. Okay, um, kind of. Uh, helps the doctor in, in the hospital. Yeah. Um, it's uh, kind of on the same level of training as maybe like a nurse practitioner. Okay. Um, we've got uh, one student in Harvard right now. We've got uh, uh, one of our guys in law school. Um, we've got three or four of our guys in med school right now. So okay. a lot of our alumni go on to, to, to pretty cool things. That is interesting. Um, is it mostly summertime? Do you have like seasonal employment or is it yeah, year-round? it's... it's uh, we do have a staff on the beach year-round. Okay. Uh, we, we do staff the beach 365 days a year and have at least uh, a patrol in the winter. Okay. Um, but it is a seasonal job. And by that, I mean um, we staff the towers from March 1st through mid-October. Um, okay. So it's about an eight-, nine-month season. Okay. Um, That's still pretty long. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, the majority of our lifeguards work part-time for either the summer or you know, eight or nine months, and they'll do it while they're you know, in addition to their studies because most of our lifeguards are you know, high school or college students. Okay. Um, and then we have a, a couple guys that also work over the winter months. Hmm. We have hmm. kind of a skeleton crew out there. Yeah, I was just yeah. trying to think. So, uh, so it, this is, may not be something that a lot of people could make a living at, but it's a great part-time kind of thing? Yeah, it's a great part-time kind of thing. It's, it's great for, for students, um, okay. high school, college age. Um, past that, um, it's not really uh, too much of a career where we are um, just because we do scale down so much in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have uh, very many full-time positions available, okay. so it's mostly seasonal positions. All right, I've got things. To but it's a some, great summer job. Yeah, let's talk about how you actually do this. So, so to qualify for a lifeguard, what what do you need to have? Right. So we actually, uh, you know, we're the Pensacola Beach lifeguards. We work on the beach. We hold multiple tryouts throughout the year. Um, how many? Uh, it depends on the needs of the department. Usually okay. around four or five a year. Um, so how many? How many are people? Is there a high turnover in lifeguards? Are they coming? There is. Going? There okay. is. I mean, because we, because like I said, we do have mostly students. Okay. And. Uh, so, you know, when they graduate, they move on to bigger and better things, usually. Yeah. Unless you want to be me. <laughs> but um, so, you know, we hold multiple tryouts throughout the year, and the, it consists of, you know, we we host this trial, and applicants come, and they do a 600-yard swim in a pool. Yeah, let's get into that. 100 yards, you have to swim in a pool. Where Where is this pool? So typically we do it at the University of West Florida uh, okay. Aquatic Center. They have a pool there at the at the university, right. and uh, we use their they let us use their facility for this tryout. Um, so thanks to them. So it's being held tomorrow, right? 
Actually, yeah, we do have a tryout tomorrow. So okay. sorry for the short notice for anyone that's interested, but we do have a, well, no, a tryout tomorrow. No, I've been talking tomorrow. about it for, for yeah. I've been announcing this for about a week and okay, a half awesome. now. So well, the people know you. about it. Thank yeah, you, no problem. Yeah. Um, but so if people want to sign up, you know, how do they how do they do that? Do they contact you? They're, yeah, if they go to uh, myescambia.com slash jobs, okay. uh, then they can apply online. We ask that people apply online before they show up, so we have them, their name in the system. Um, they can also get all the information they need about the trial on our website at pensacolabeachlifeguards.com. Okay. Is it too late to apply now? It is not too late, no. Okay. All right. Um, and then, yeah, back to how that trial actually goes. But it's, it's 600 yards swim in the pool in 10 minutes or less. So the, the time is, is a, a tricky thing there followed by a mile-and-a-half run on the track in 12 minutes or less. This is a triathlon. <laughs> biathlon. Well, it's yeah, a biathlon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you only have two, two physical events? Yeah. There's a 600-yard swim. There's a 1.5-mile run. Uh, right. And that's followed by – so the, the run comes after the swim. Right, yeah. So you have to be able to do the run after doing the swim. Oh, okay. So, so no energy bars, no energy drinks, things like that? You just go right uh, No, no, no. They actually do get a bit of a break um, okay. between the swim and the run. Um, okay. So the, they'll be it, – it usually ends up being about 20 to 30 minutes in between the swim and the run. So they can change and, and get water okay. where they need, and, um, and we head over to the track. You uh, should put like a 20-mile bike ride in here. I mean, then it would be a triathlon. Yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> That'd be fun. You don't want to do that? You know, once they uh, they have, like, developed some kind of rescue bike in the surf, then, then absolutely. Well, that's what I was just thinking. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't really use, you know, they're not useful on the beach. But there's reasons for the 600-yard swim and yeah. the 1.5 miles. What are those reasons? Why did you pick those events? Um, we wanted to set a standard, okay. uh, you know, athletic standard for for that we thought would be comparable to what these uh, applicants needed to be able to get through our training um, because if you pass the tryout, okay. we will offer you an interview. Okay. And then if we, if we do select to hire you, uh, we'll put you through 80 hours of paid training. So you're still not hired. You have to go, you have to complete the training first before you're officially. A it will be paid training. Um, yeah. so you'll be on the payroll, but you have to, to be able to successfully, successfully complete the training before okay. you can man the towers. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so this is like a three-step process. You've got to, first of all, you've got to physically qualify. Yes. Okay. Then you have, we also have to have all your certificates and documents. Right, which uh, we actually only require that you be 16 years of age okay. and possess a valid driver's license. Okay. Um, that's enough. Um, we prefer the applicants have uh, American Red Cross lifeguard certification or okay. prior lifeguard experience, but it's not necessary. If they can pass the physical tryout and they are 16 plus and they have a driver's license, then we can train you to okay. become a lifeguard. Yeah. Just, just as an example, I mean, how many events in the Olympics are 600 yards? Um, not that many. Realize. <laughs> yeah. Well. It's, yeah. I mean, well, they have like a mix. They've got the long distance races, but those don't don't get as much of the TV time, I think, as the short distance okay. the sprints. You know. I think there's like an 800 meter, and there's maybe a 1200 swim. Yeah, I think there's a 1650. Oh, really? Uh, which is, I guess, is the yeah the mile. Okay. How long are they? I want to just just to compare. Like, um, so you have 10 minutes or less for 600 yards. Yeah. So what what would that be comparable to in a competition? I'm just curious what the standard would be. So 600 yards in Olympic competition. How long would that take? Mm, an Olympic competition. Well, the pool would actually be slightly different because in an Olympic co- competition they would use uh, an Olympic pool, which right. they the the length of the lane ends up being almost I think it's like twice as long. Uh, it's like 50 meters or whatever. So you're not meters. turning so as often. You're not turning as often, which gives people a lot of boost. So it's a different, but still, even with that slowdown for them, they would they would still I mean 600 yards and. They would, I'm sure the Olympics would do it. Well, I'm just trying to compare, you know, 10 minutes of swimming in 600 yards, you know, compared to, so, so like a, a super athlete might do that in four or five minutes, maybe? Mm, six to seven. So you're pretty close to com- competitive standards here. 
Yeah, we. I mean, a lot of our uh, lifeguards are you know, collegiate swimmers, okay. or, or, or or have been, you know, collegiate or high school swimmers. Um, prior swimming experience is, is a big bonus to being able to pass this tryout. Would this be good if you wanted a swimming scholarship into college? Do people do that? Um, maybe. Uh, I mean, you definitely have to be a strong swimmer to be able to pass the tryout. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, Usually, if someone's looking forward to a swimming scholarship, they are already on some kind of swim team, and, and that's what they're working towards. Okay. Wow. Looks like we have a caller, so we're going to do is yeah. probably uh, take this and then uh, take a break or take a break sure. and then take this. We'll see what's going on um, just because I try and kind of balance these out. We'll see what, uh, what ADOG has for us here. So who is – he's going to write that up here. But um, I have a bunch of stories, and I have a bunch of things for you, too. We'll yeah, yeah. Some of the stories, some of the wilder things that have happened um, out on the beach. We're just doing the official stuff now. So you need a driver's license, 16 years old, lifeguard certification, um, and just basically – so you've had some people that haven't been able to qualify on the physical part, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, typically, we have about a 70% pass rate, so okay. 70% of the people who show up to the tryout pass. Right. Um, They've trained. They've they've actually worked after this a fair bit. Yeah, usually they you know they're athletes or swimmers and and, okay. and usually it is the swim that that people can't qualify. Usually people show up there. You're usually able to beat the run, but okay. the swim is the challenging one. If you don't have prior swimming experience, it's you know it's a technical sport. Yeah, so. people race into it and they think you know they'll, they'll burn out in like the first right right yards they're done. Right. Yeah, we got David who's on the line. I'm gonna take a break real quick. It's eight sixteen in the morning here on our action radio uh, hour, and so let me do this. And, and so David, just hang on. We'll get back to you right after. After the break at 1330 WEBY, Northwest Florida's Talk Radio. You guys ever swim to music? Here. 8.20 in the morning uh, with my guest, uh, Alexander Johnson, senior lifeguard of Escambia County. Let's get uh, let's get David on the air here. David, go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Enjoying the show. I good. thought you might morning, enjoy David. hearing a little bit of nostalgia. You know, I have a long history of a lot of good guards and a lot of good saves out there and stuff. And uh, I actually lifeguarded at Holiday Inn, Pensacola Beach, back before one of the hurricanes wiped it out. This is back in the late 70s, early okay, 80s. wow. But the way they did tryouts back then, first of all, you had to be certified to even show up, cross-certified. Right. And uh, Bucky Stringfeller, old football coach for Gulf Breeze High, played football for him. He's a good dude. He actually ran the, the tryouts. He kind of ran them like a football practice a little bit. He came out there with the clipboard and a stopwatch. And first thing we'd do is everybody would do calisthenics long enough to, you know, kind of get warmed up, jumping jacks, stuff like that. And right. once everybody was done doing the calisthenics, then it was go time. He had a cone. It was probably right around a mile and a half, but it was in that soft peach sand. He had a cone down there. You had to go run around the cone and then back to another cone. And then as soon as you were done with that, it was it was no stop in the process. Once you were done with the run, then you went out into the water, and he had a buoy out there past yep. the second bar. You had to swim out to the buoy, around the buoy, and back. And then he literally stood right there at the first cone with his clipboard and his stopwatch, wrote your name and your time down as you came in, and that's how you got hired, starting at the top, working your way down. And he kept that list throughout the whole season. And as people quit or got fired or whatever, he would work his way down the list. Oh, yeah. And uh, I thought that was a pretty good way of doing it. Oh, and one other thing. He did it in, like, April, maybe early May, and the water was still pretty cold. Oh, yeah. 
Wow, it's about seventy degrees out there right now. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So, but the thing, if you do, if you go strictly by by times, what if you have someone that has a really great attitude, but they're not the fastest swimmer? I, I know, I know. You but know? Uh, I guess they figured, you know, if you're if you're already been through the Red Cross certification that right. shows some ability to interact with people and save people and, and okay. get through a course and, and stuff like that. And then, you know, if somebody didn't work out, they could always be fired. Yeah, that's true. It was a part-time position, and they yeah. didn't have, you know, benefits and job security like they yeah. have nowadays. Well, what do they have now for that? But it was a good job. People usually held yeah. on to it. Okay. Yeah. Hang yeah. on, David. I got some more questions too. But uh, um, Alexander, what, what kind of job security and uh, benefits do they have now for the job? It, it's I don't some... hang up, y'all. Enjoying okay. the show. Bye. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. All right. Sir, go ahead. So yeah. Yeah, it's similar to what David was saying. Um, we offer our guys a very high competitive hourly wage. Was it fourteen fifty seven to start? Fourteen fifty seven an hour to start off with. Do you know what the county um, average is? I mean, you probably don't. I I'm don't just off the top of my head. So no. some like entry level jobs. What's the minimum wage in this Gambia County? Uh, eight something, I think. Okay, so yeah, you're you're pushing twice as much as the minimum yeah. to start yeah. with. Is there a training wage uh, for your, your your days of training? No, it's the same. That's same they're already on payroll with their, their with their minimum wage and raises. Uh, how often? Yearly? Um, as needed? As as earned? Yeah, I mean, sometimes the county pushes through a, uh, a cost of living increase or, okay. or a raise for the employees, but um, that goes into a lot of stuff with the county that okay. isn't really in my power or my yeah. authority. So, where some? Yeah. Can you mention where they top out at, or is that public knowledge or no? Um, just yeah, curious. it's 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 in the position that's posted online. I'm actually not sure what the top of the range is. Okay. Um, as far as you know, the raises and stuff. That's that gets into stuff that's not really in my realm. Okay. Um, but my pay grade. Hey, listen. I yeah. ask all kinds of questions yeah, that yeah, aren't, yeah. aren't people's area yeah. of expertise, but that's how I find out. Yeah. Is because but you just have to tell me. That's all. And that's yeah, yeah, yeah. No okay. Dave, that was um, a great call from former lifeguards. Do you get lifeguards coming back, sort of oh, uh, yeah. helping out? Yeah, yeah. How's that work? We have people that stop by all the time. That you know, I used to work here ten years ago, twenty years ago. They love to come tell stories. I mean, everyone always remembers it as one of their most fun jobs that they had. Or tell me some stories. Yeah. Uh, man, uh, I don't adventure <laughs> or just adventures of like saves. You, uh, you call them saves when you save somebody. Sure. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. How does saves, that work? rescues, stories. So, uh, do you have a couple of those you can share with us? Sure. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be you. We've done, you know. we've, we've, we've done it all out there. I mean, okay. you know, we, we, we responded to, to jet ski crashes and, uh, boating accidents and, and then, but the number one thing is rip currents, and that's yeah, let's what, talk that's about what we that. preach. That's what we preach. I so. talk a lot about rip currents, but I, I'm not as familiar, obviously, as you are. But w- tell me what they are, how they work, what do you do? You know, just give me the whole story on rip sure. currents. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Rip currents are, are, are really what we focus out on there okay. as, as beach lifeguards. Um, essentially, you know, just to kind of give you the, the, the short story breakdown, when you have waves, wind causes waves, and, and okay. wind pushes waves, you know, up onto the beach. Right. And when waves, you know, move water up onto the beach, then you that water that gets pushed up onto the beach has to find a way back out. It's kind of equilibrate and, and flow back out. Right. And it'll find the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance is going to be kind of the, the deepest area in, in that little section of beach where that water's getting pushed on shore. Okay. So all that water in that section that's getting pushed on shore from these waves is going to flow to that deep area and rush back out right there. Okay. And as it starts to rush back out, it's going to take sand with it and create that, make that area even deeper. And then it starts kind of a vicious cycle. So over time, the more water get, getting pushed up on the beach, the more water is rushing out in that deep area, the more sand it pulls with it, the okay. deeper it gets, the stronger the current gets, the more water flows there. 
and eventually it forms this really big rip current. Um, And so what that's going to look like, um, especially on our beach, our beach is is kind of special for various reasons, but our beautiful sand um, also has a bit of a downside into it is that it's very soft, right. very fine. It's almost 100% quartz, and it shifts very easily. It's not hard you know, mud or rock or clay. It, it's very fine, and it, it moves around very easy. So with the waves and the water and the currents, it shifts very easy. And so once the, um, the water starts flowing out and these rip currents, it starts pulling the sand with it really easy here on, on Pensacola Beach and on the Gulf Coast. Okay. And so these rip currents form all over the beach on days that we have surf. They form and in different places too, right? Yeah, I mean, pretty much almost every 25 yards on a, on a surf day, you're going to find a rip current. And wow. It's, and, and they'll get bigger and bigger as time goes on. Okay, I want to hear more about it, but yeah. I want to take uh, Rick's call right now, and then we'll get back sure. into, into what you do if you find yourself in one. Rick, why don't you go ahead? Hey, Greg, good morning. Good morning. Uh, real quick, two things. Barracuda, I had the same experience as you, but... I'm going to go into that real quick. Let me just say. It's okay. Well, you got time. You don't have to rush. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the fans, the quartz, uh-huh. it comes from Georgia. True. The river's yeah. up in Georgia where the granite mines are. Oh. So many years of breaking it down and bringing it down river. Okay. Yeah. Estuaries here. That's how we got our white beaches. That's very true. Um, Interesting. I talked about barracudas. I had the same experience as you, but got caught out in the Gulf Stream. Oh. And barracudas have laser sharp teeth. Yes, they They're do. They're very aggressive. I fear them more than a shark because oh, they can then dart in, rip a piece of flesh off, and then when you start bleeding, the sharks show up. So, <laughs> so I was just you. lucky then with my experience? Yes, you were. Okay. I mean, I was listening to you this morning, and I'm like, you do not know how lucky you were. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. well, the other thing is, please talk about double red flags. Okay. Yes, uh, because I witnessed the drowning on oh, St. George Island uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Two weeks ago. And the parents let a 10-year-old girl, I think she was about 10, go out in the water. And a good Samaritan went out there and saved her drowning, but he ended up drowning. Oh, and yeah. at that point, they I think I heard about that. And a half hours and couldn't find him. Wow. So yeah. please, please emphasize... Double red flag, I think it makes it illegal to go into the water. Red flag is a fair warning, and I'm glad you're talking about the riptide. Have a great weekend. Oh, thanks, Rick. Appreciate thanks, your Rick. call. Appreciate you calling. Yeah, that's great. So we, we're getting some really good calls today. Yeah, this is dynamite. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, do, let's finish up on rip currents, and then we'll get to the, what the flag system Yeah, is. yeah, I'd love to. Um, so, yeah, like I was saying, you know, our sand, super soft, super beautiful, does come from up in Georgia, flows down and over okay. time. You know, that's, that's where we got it from uh, originally, um, and we love our sand, but... Uh, it does contribute to us having some really significant rip currents here uh, okay. in Pensacola Beach and in the Gulf Coast. And so I was thinking, I'm trying to imagine this in my mind. So, so the waves come up, and then they can like concentrate in one area and kind of like slide down. flow it's back like, out. It's like a circular effect, right? Exactly, exactly. Okay. And, and, and the longer it lasts, the, usually the stronger they get. And so what you're going to see on our beach, um, okay. because the sand is so soft, it starts pulling that sand out. You're gonna, if you look down the shoreline, it's not a straight line. Okay. You'll see parts where it kind of scallops in further up the shore and parts where it comes to points and sticks out further into the water, the, the shoreline, the sand. Okay. Right. Those areas where it scallops in, where the water's coming up further and the sand is kind of scalloped away. So where you that see deeper is, sand, like a little depression? Well, right if, the if, you look, if you look down the shoreline, you look okay. down the beach, right. and, and you can kind of see that the sand, it, it goes up in a scallop, and then it comes to a point, and then it goes up into a scallop. Well, okay, right. So you can see where water's coming up further in certain areas. Right. So those areas where the water's come up further, where there's a scallop in the sand, 
that usually means that um, something is taking away the sand there, and okay. that means that's a site of a rip current, okay. typically. How wide are these? They, they vary significantly. Okay. Right. Um, you can have really small ones, or they can, they can be 100 yards wide. Um, I've seen some really, really massive ones. 100 yard wide rip current? That's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. far out do they go then? Uh, they'll go out past the break. So they'll go what's out. The, what's the break? Where the waves are breaking. Okay. Um, yeah, where the waves are breaking, uh, they'll go out just past that. So pretty much, uh, once you get out past, generally you kind of have a, a first sandbar, or the the area close to the the beach to the shoreline where right. it's, it's still kind of shallow. Okay. Um, and then you, as you get further out, you get to an area called we call the trough, which is where it it goes down quite deep. You know, a good bit deeper, maybe 15 to 20. So you've feet. got you got the beach. Yeah. And you've got like a shallow area. Yeah. Then you've got a sandbar. Uh, is the water going over that sandbar? Well, it's, it's kind of hard to paint a picture for you. So typically, and, and it shifts a lot, it changes a lot on our beach since our sand moves around so easy. Okay. But you're standing on the beach, on the shoreline, and then the first section of water is typically kind of is is, is kind of shallow. Okay. And then that's called the first sandbar. Okay. And then you kind of get into a deeper area we call the trough, and that's usually 15, 20 feet, something like that. Okay. So that's just past where the waves are breaking usually, and that's where the current's going to take you. It's going to take you to that trough where it's about 15 to 20 feet, um, just past the first sandbar. So how far out from shore are you if you're caught in a current? It's really not that far, um, okay. uh, usually. It's usually not that far, uh, maybe 50 yards. Uh, but well, that may not be far to you, but for someone that's not, yeah, perhaps, not in yeah. the best of shape, that might be that's a huge true. difference. That's true. So yeah. what do you do if you're caught in a rip current? Yeah, so if you swim parallel to the shore... So, you know, instead of trying to swim straight back into shore, uh, you know, swim parallel, swim in a line with the shore. Yeah. Current's taking you out, right? Right. So if you're trying to swim back, isn't that good? You're, just, you? you're just fighting the current, and, and some of these rip currents, Greg, can swim uh, faster than Michael. They can pull faster than Michael Phelps can swim. Wow. So, um, so if, you're not, if you're not Michael Phelps, you're still going to get you're gonna <laughs> pulled out even, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they've been measured at, uh, I think, up to eight feet per second. Uh, so that's pretty fast at, at their fastest. So, yeah. so, uh, yeah, what you, sh- if you realize that, you know, you've been trying to get back in and, and you're not making any progress. Okay. Stop trying to swim straight back in, swim parallel to shore for a few minutes and then swim in. Cause you're trying to go through across the rip current. Yeah. That way you get out of the current and then you can swim in right back okay. onto the sandbar. Can you feel when you're in different water? Does it, is your way to know if you're swimming when you're out of the rip current? Usually you can feel it, um, but it does kind of come with experience. Okay. Yeah. So for new swimmers, just be careful. Just don't swim when you get the flag. Yeah. You know, swim near a lifeguard and ask us where the rip currents are, and we'd love to point them out to you. Okay, that sounds good. Because I've I've seen a YouTube video. You can actually see, like, a flatter area of water. So, Mm -hmm. like, the breakers are breaking around a rip current? Yeah, there's multiple ways to to spot a rip current. Again, the the first way, you can look down the shoreline, look for those scallops in the sand where the water's coming up further. And then you look out in the water at that spot, and... The water where the rip current is is going to look darker. It's okay. darker because it's deeper. Oh, right, because you've got that um, compression of sand, right? right? Okay. And the water there is actually going to look calmer because since it's deeper, the waves aren't breaking as much there. So there won't be yeah. as much whitewash. So people are thinking it's probably smoother water exactly. and it's actually more People dangerous. actually try to, I'm going to go there where the waves aren't at, and that's actually where the deep rip current is. Interesting. We've got to take one more break. Uh, actually, we have two more, but we're going to take one right now. And then we've got uh, Pete on the line. Pete is one of our, our regular callers. Okay, so great. This should be kind of fun. Anyway, and uh, anybody else is welcome to call 623-1330. We do have some time. Get in your calls now because, as you know, as the hour ends, uh, and people call all at once. We just don't have the time to take uh, your call that we do now. 8.34 in the morning. I'll be right back. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. Feel that hot blood in my body. So when it drops, ooh, 
Ben Alexander Johnson, to you with me. We're talking lifeguard stuff. He's the senior lifeguard of Escambia County. And so let's get to Pete and see what uh, Pete. What's on your mind this morning? Hey, gang! Thanks for taking my call. Good sure. morning, Pete. Hey, how you doing, sir? Hey, I appreciate all you do for the the lifeguards and stuff. Uh, Thank you. Uh, in the state of Florida, uh, in Pensacola especially, tourism is very, very important. Isn't Absolutely. It? So it's so sad when we butter. can watch the news and see that there was a drowning. You know. Yeah. Another death, and uh, I love the lifeguards. I used to be a lifeguard for YMCA. I used to be at the beach a long time ago, mm-hmm. like our previous caller back during the day, you know. But uh, I, I wish that the lifeguards would be full-time, full-seasoned professional men and women that were grown men. I mean, I think men and women. I think me personally, uh, my opinion is a 16-year-old kid, I mean, that's good, yeah. and, and I needed a job when I was 16, too. But, man, saving lives is more important than that. I wish that we can have professionals that we know they're going to be there each time, that uh, that practice and train and and, uh, and lifeguard stands. We need them every 300 yards. Yeah. You know? How far are they spaced currently now? Yeah, because, because if, if tourism is big yeah. and who dies in the rip currents or the tourists that don't know about it, if we can put rip current signs every 300 yards. Well, I think Plant the rip the currents sand. vary, Pete, as to, as to where they are, because we were talking about earlier, they, they move. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. Well, I mean, anywhere. Yeah. I mean, if, if you had a rip curmation sign to tell you to swim diagonally, you know. Uh, we do. We do have uh, rip does. current signs posted okay. all over the island, actually. Um, right. But, yeah, um, Pete brings up an interesting point. You know, there yeah. are a lot of lifeguard agencies that, that do have a lot of full-time positions. You think about a lot of the California beaches, okay. Los Angeles, San Diego, you know, South Florida, um, up here in the Gulf Coast and the Panhandle, we find ourselves in a, in a, a kind of an interesting situation. You know, we have a, people don't realize this, but we actually do get quite of a cold winter here in Pensacola, Pensacola yeah. area. You know, Milton. I kind of enjoyed it. It was a nice one. Yeah, you know, it, it, you know, people might laugh, you know, from the northern states and stuff like that, but you know, a humid cold is a, quite different than a dry cold. You know, and uh, anyway, with our cold winter, um, how does that have, affect lifeguarding? Well, uh, what I mean by that Thanks is Pete for your when call. we, you know, when we get into the October, November, December, January, February, uh, sometimes even March, um, you know, almost all of our tourists go away here in Pensacola um, okay. because it is actually quite cold, and um, there is there's not as many, nearly as many swimmers in the water. Um, the water gets down sometimes into the fifties, uh, and it's quite chilly. Um, we do make rescues. We do have a skeleton crew uh, of lifeguards on staff in the winter every day of the year. Um, and oftentimes, especially during the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, we will, you know, pull tourists out uh, and make rescues. Okay. Um, but, you know, if you think about Los Angeles or, or Miami Beach, um, they have... They're year-round. Year-round swimming conditions. Yeah. Year-round, year-round tourists, uh, huge amount of tourists year-round. And so, of course, you know, they've got... So many people come into those beaches and swim in every single day out of the year that they uh, they absolutely can support uh, full time year round positions. Right. Um, you know, the county um, you know only has certain amount you know certain amount of money. And That's what I was wondering too. They have it's to good, you, know, you know yeah they've got to decide you know what is the best way to serve the public and okay. and you know are those resources going to be better spent uh, with EMS personnel or or you know maintenance or, or all the other things that, you know, that money has to be divvied up into. Mm. And so when we look at budgets and, and, and decisions on positions and, and things like that, yeah. you have to take that into account that, you know, you know those, those variables. So. Yeah, because you're basically, you're rescuing a lot of tourists, but the taxes, you know, it's the local folks that are paying for the service. 
True. Yeah. Well, I mean, but the, of course, there is you know sales tax and stuff like that on the island. That okay. you know, that, you know that helps. But, but true. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, you know, of course, I I'm never against uh, more money for the lifeguards. <laughs> um, you know, we could. Do you guys have use. big sales? I mean, do you have benefits? <laughs> you don't do that. Okay. No. No. no but no. P race is actually two really good points. The, the, the first one is on the full time basis, and I can see where yeah. you know if you wanted to be a full time lifeguard in Miami, you know, where the hotels and, the, and everybody yeah. is gathering, might be a better. Yeah. Way to yeah. Go there are there are places. You know. You know. California, Miami. Do people work yeah. different places? They'll work maybe here in the summer and there in the winter. Uh, oftentimes, you know, we get people who, who when they move, um, yeah. e- either they move here and they've had prior lifeguard experience at a different beach, or you know okay. they come from here and they move to California and they get hired out there or something like that. Yeah, so water's that too happen. cold. Northern California, but, uh, where I was, the water's too cold to swim, yeah. so that was not a problem. Yeah, you'd, yeah, yeah. you'd have to get to Santa Cruz and below yeah. before it's even tolerable without a wetsuit. But the, but um, with our yeah. current staff, um, we we do uh, uh, I think an amazing job of of uh, you know, mm-hmm. adequately staffing the beach during the this, this summer months and the, the busy tourist season. Yeah. Um, and we make a lot of rescues every year. And, uh, yeah. and, uh, and yeah, we do hire, uh, you know, down to 16 year olds. Um, and they, re- you know, require a lot of training and it takes a while to, to get them up to, to status quo, you know? Uh, but, you know, we always well, have them properly trained and we, 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 you know, don't double them up with the veterans, and, and, you know, and I, they do a lot. They yeah. do a lot. They do a lot was, of amazing things. Well, I was flying an airplane. I, I soloed a week after my 16th birthday. You Me know, too. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, we uh, talk, about a week or two after my 16th birthday. I, I, we got to talk I, flying, then. We'll do yeah, a show yeah. on that. But, I mean, that's what I think. 16-year-olds can do a lot. Yeah. You know, in previous you know, historic times, people were serving in wars at 16. In fact, yeah. I think the people were even World War II lying about their age. Yeah, 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 true. Yeah. So things, you know, 16. So I, I, I started out with Pensacola Beach Lifeguards when I was 16. Okay. And, um, you know, I've been out there for 10 years now. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think there's no better job out there, no better pre-professional job okay. um, to learn to develop these kind of awesome responsibilities and, and, and just things that you learn out there. It, it really just developed me as a person. And, and uh, I've seen it with all the, the people that we train out there, the students, okay. the high school students, college students that... Uh, really, really has a big impact on their lives and where they go. It's interesting because we're we're in this sort of you know touchy feely, squishy, safe space. You know, coddling student. I mean, things, the millennial yeah. generation has changed yeah. completely. I mean, we challenge them. Yeah, and beach, this yeah. is a place where you can get challenged. I mean, you don't yeah. have you don't have the same like Boy Scout thing anymore. They're not orienteering with a map and a compass and saying you know go off for six hours and find your way back kind of thing. Yeah. So true. there's a lot of challenges that people don't, that I had. Uh, when I was a kid, and because I didn't have GPS or phones or things mm-hmm. like that, so I'm I'm bike riding 20, 30, 40 miles sometimes a day, you know, in my teenage years, and nobody knew where I was. You know, I had to find my way back. So it's nice to have a challenge like this. Um, we're gonna take uh, one more break here in just a bit, but um, so I want to finish up the tourist thing. What is the biggest concern with tourists? Because they don't know the flag system, and and how many? Yeah. You know what? Uh, what do you tell them? How do they get informed? As to we what's going you know, on? so we do have the flag system. So okay. we have flags posted all over the island. Um, in addition to that, we've got our website. We've got an electronic reader board that does a message on the beach as you come on to Pensacola Beach. Um, do they explain what the flags mean? Yeah, they they okay. explain they explain. You know, we've got signs posted on almost every single parking lot and every single walkover okay. where people access the beach that explain what the flags mean and have rip current signs that explain how to get a rip current and what a rip current looks like. Okay. Um, so we've got those posted all over the island. Um, we go around the community. We do safety talks with the schools. Okay. Uh, we get on radio stations, uh, uh, TV stations, and you know. As far as our mission, the Pensacola Beach Lifeguards, you know, our mission is to educate and protect the public. And okay. our first word there is educate. So we, we try to get out there and, and tell everybody what the flag colors mean and, 
and what rip currents look like and, and how to avoid them. We're going to go over the flag system as soon as yeah. we come back, so let's do that. 846, uh, it's our last break here, and if you want to hop on the line, 623-1330, we're talking lifeguards with uh, Alexander Johnson. from Baywatch. Thanks, A-Dog. That's why I say A-Dog is the world's greatest yeah, producer. Yeah, yeah. He just goes with the themes and gets us the right music. 848 in the morning. We only have uh, one little segment left here with Alexander Johnson. Flag system. Give me the colors and what they mean. Yeah, so... Uh, this is, you know, the state flag system, so it's it's pretty much the same throughout the state. You know, okay. you have uh, you have the purple flag, which is flown in addition to any of the three primary flags, which is green, yellow, and red. So the purple flag means that there's dangerous marine life. We usually put that up with jellyfish. Time with weather. It, they usually do kind of come in uh, and hang out for about a month or so, um, sometime in the year. Sometimes usually like July or August. But okay. but yeah, oftentimes they just get blown in with the wind. Okay. Um, and so we'll put the purple flag up. Um, when there's a swarm of jellyfish, and that's that's typically why we fly the purple flag. Shark, uh, but as far as sharks, sur- barracuda, anything not like that? usually because sharks don't usually hang out in the area. So okay. by the time you put the flag up, they'd be gone. Okay. Um, they usually swim right on by. Okay. Um, but uh, more importantly, is the actual uh, flags indicate the surf conditions. So green flag indicates that it's generally calm, generally calm and flat. Um, so there's usually not really any waves coming up on shore. Okay. Um, if there's not any waves, then there's no rip currents because there have to be waves oh, okay. for the rip That's currents to, to start flowing. There could still be the channels, the, the holes, the deep spots where, mm-hmm. where it would be you know, in over someone's head. So there can still be holes that non-swimmers could... You know, it could be a threat to them, okay. but it won't actually be pulling them out if there's no waves. Okay. Um, then we have yellow flag. That means moderate surf and currents, um, and that's going to range anywhere from, you know, a little bit of waves to all the way up to red flag. Red flag is, you know, high or dangerous surf and currents. Is there a height um, to these waves that you measure? Or? It's not a height. We, we look at we look at the, the currents and the wave height and everything, and it, most significantly, we look at the rip currents. Okay. Um, there's a lot of factors there because if the if the wind is blowing really strong out of uh, east or west, which is on you know Pensacola Beach, which means it's going laterally, okay, to, you know parallel to the shore, then that's going to be pushing the water parallel to the shore, which will create something we call the longshore current, okay, and that actually will pull people through the rip currents. So it can be if it's strong enough. So you can have cross currents. So you can have a yeah, you can have longshore. Yeah, so the cross current can actually help us sometimes if it's really strong. It'll pull people through the rip currents. Okay. So we take all these currents into effect when we when we when we look at the flag color. Um, but on Pensacola Beach, um, red flag, you know, um, is, you know, high to dangerous surf and currents. And unlike almost all the other beaches in Florida, Pensacola Beach does one thing differently is that we do not let swimmers go on the water on red flags. Okay. Um, we wanted to have a way that we could still let surfers go out, but that we could say, no, this is too much for, for swimmers. No swimmers allowed. Okay. So on red flags on Pensacola Beach, we do not let swimmers go out. And other beaches do? Other beaches do. Um, they will. Um, they do red, and then there's another one more flag, which is double red. And double red is the water is completely closed to the public. Okay. So when beaches go double red, that usually means that nobody can get in the water. No swimmers, no surfers, nobody. The water's closed. And how, we'll, do you, how do you enforce that? Um, you know, we have uh, patrols, and if people, uh, we can get the sheriff's office involved if necessary. Okay. Um, but usually, when it gets to the point of double red. Um, 
usually people know. They notice it? Okay. Um, on Pensacola Beach, we're almost never going to fly Delta Red unless it's uh, some kind of natural disaster like a hurricane, okay. um, you know, something something really significant, you know, the oil spill. Um, but on Pensacola Beach, when we fly the red flag, we, we drive up and down the entire beach and, you know, of course, in front of our lifeguard towers, and we don't let any swimmers go on the water. Okay. Um, this, is, this is something we, we added here to be able to have a, a way to let the surfer still go out because they have a, a, a leash, a flotation device attached to them with a leash, mm-hmm. and they usually, if they're sport, they usually know what they're doing. So if you're smart, it's not a yeah. bad idea to swim with some kind of like a small life jacket just to, uh, in case you interrupt current and things like that. Would that be a good idea? Or is that... Yes and no. Uh, we don't okay. want anybody to be lulled into a false sense of security. Okay. So life jackets can be great, um, but you know I would say that if you are not confident in your swimming ability, you really shouldn't be going out in the Gulf uh, okay. past where you can stand. That makes sense. What yeah. kind of equipment do you, do you have for rescues? Yeah, so on uh, Pensacola Beach, um, you know our number one resource is our employees. Okay. We have a large staff um, of highly athletic, highly qualified um, young people usually, yeah. um, and. And we spread them out over the entire beach. We have we have seven towers, and we also have multiple patrols that spread out over all the miles of Pensacola Beach. Um, and if there's more surf and more currents, we'll add more and more patrols to try to so vehicles, be everywhere. We have well. we have trucks, we have ATVs, we have prowlers. Okay. We we really try to to get to educate every single person that's on the beach that day and, okay. and about the rip currents and, and watch everybody that's swimming. In the surf, do you have like yeah. jet skis for rescue? Or um, do you the, have? the beach fire station on Pensacola Beach, uh, which is uh, station 13, okay. they have jet skis and they will uh, respond to water calls with us. Um, and if we need a jet ski, um, they're capable of launching them. Um, we use uh, rescue boards, fins, uh, okay. cans, tubes, um, you know, What's a can? What's a tube? A tube is like what you would see with a lifeguard at a pool, like okay. the soft, flexible little uh, tube that the lifeguard sitting in the pool would have. Okay. And then a can is a hard, durable, really uh, buoyant uh, plastic rescue device with handles that lets us rescue multiple people or, or okay. have more buoyancy. So you want to give us something to hang um, on to. Is that the so idea? Typically, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So typically what happens is um, you know, the jet skis take a while to get to the scene and launch because right. it, 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 there's a bit of logistical effort there in getting the jet skis launched. And we as the lifeguards already on the beach, already there with our, you know, our fins and our, our tube or, or our rescue board can usually get to the victim quicker than the jet ski can get launched. Okay. So we can get out there and get to the victim, and then usually we can get them in, and if we can't get them in, then we'll have uh, the fire rescue guys come and help us with their jet ski. Okay. And they, we, do, we work really well together. Um, we train together all the time. So how, how does a rescue typically, uh, it's probably not typical, but you know, give me some examples of how you've yeah. been to uh, rescue people. Of how we've been to? How you've rescued people. Yeah, I mean, surf. every which way. You know, uh, it really just depends. You know, we, we train our lifeguards, and... and it, the conditions really dictate on what kind of equipment you're going to take that day. You know, okay. if the surf is too big, it's probably it's going to be too difficult probably to take the rescue board. Um, so you might have to go in the water with just your fins and 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 can. Um, it's just going to depend on the conditions. But yeah. but are, I, are there I, patterns at all? I wonder of people do like people go like you know having too much lunch and then they need a rescue or do they they're just not qualified to swim? Oh, there's absolutely patterns if you look at the data and the statistics. Um, it's almost always young males. Okay. Um, alcohol is often involved, oh, and over 80% yeah. of the time, it's it's because of a rip current. Okay. 80% plus of ocean rescues are are due to rip currents. Huh. Um, people will be playing around in the surf, standing on the sandbar, bouncing around. Um, they start getting pulled out. Um, they don't realize it. 
they'll they'll turn around and realize that they're they're further from shore than they thought they were. Okay. They'll start trying to make their way back in, not realizing the rip current. They're swimming straight against it, and they're not going anywhere. They're still going backwards. Young males, who you think would be in good shape to do this, uh, but they're just not often. Yeah, but uh, they're usually bigger risk takers. Um, okay. And you know, those are the whole. Hey, let's see how far we can go out. Or you know, let me tell you a quick story whole game. <laughs> before we go. Uh, I was in St. Martin, and I met this guy from Baltimore named Morris Finkelstein. Mm-hmm. And I always remember it because of his name. Yeah. He said, let's go swimming out far as we can. And apparently oh, yeah. there's, a, there's a reef like a, a half mile to mile offshore mm-hmm. somewhere in St. Martin. I had to be at least half three quarters of a mile out. And swimming, and yeah. the waves, and the waves out there. This is probably the stupid, one of the many, well, many stupid things I've done. But it was a great experience, and I'll never do it again. But I was out. For, uh, people were like dots on the beach, yeah. And the waves, the waves were actually getting to the point where we couldn't see the beach. So in the trough, we couldn't see it at all. Yeah. Dumb thing to do, right? <laughs> anyway, but we made it back in. But uh, what's what's a reasonable distance to swim? Don't don't do do I that. Don't try this at home, kids. Um, but uh, it was it, it was actually fascinating to be yeah. as far just because it's so salty. You actually could sit in the water and rise up and down in the Caribbean. But when the waves got higher than we could see the shoreline, when yeah, we were yeah, in the trough, yeah. that's when we, so we looked at each other and said, you know what? I think we're far enough out. We better head yeah, back in now. Yeah. What's what's reasonable? What, what's common sense depends. in the last like thirty seconds here? Yeah, it depends on the conditions. We'll we'll look at it. Um, on Pensacola Beach, like I was saying earlier, we have that first sandbar. Like okay. that first part of the water, and then it gets deeper into the trough. And it yeah. actually, there's a second sandbar, um, which is about the distance, if you know, uh, of the end of the the pier on Pensacola Beach. That's what that's the second. So sandbar. we we don't really want people swimming out past the second sandbar. That's 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 or you know we don't really people going further than the trough because um, at that point it's going to be really difficult to get out to them quickly if something happens. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Give your contact information and the dates and time for the tryouts tomorrow, and I think that'll about do us. Yeah, my name is Alexander Johnson. I'm the senior lifeguard on Pensacola Beach for Scambia County Public Safety. Um, you can email me uh, at adjohnson at myescambia.com. If you have any questions, feel free. Um, you can find all the information for the Pensacola Beach lifeguards as far as tryouts, um, our junior lifeguard camp. 15 seconds. Uh, on PensacolaBeachLifeguards.com. Okay, and that's it? Okay. Yeah, thank that's you. Good. Thanks uh, for coming in. I really thank appreciate you, it. Thank you, And uh, it. good luck with the trial Glad tomorrow. Glad to be here. Yeah. In fact, one of the great things about being at a, at a local station um, that was already established, well-established, WEBY 1330 AM, Northwest Florida's News and Talk Leader, the old WEBY, not what they've become now, um, is that we had a long-established station. They had great contacts. Uh, Mike, uh, Mike Bates, the owner, had tons of contacts in the area. And I was able to talk to some amazing people. One of them was, was our lifeguard show. And so I think we did another one uh, in, in 2018, same kind of thing. It sort of became one of those, those many annual events. We had the food banks. We had the lifeguards. We had uh, the animal shelters. We had the emergency folks for hurricanes. We, I mean, we were really setting up a really nice system of, of local folks and serving the local community, as well as talking about legislation, taking on national issues. Uh, we didn't really take on any international at that point because it, it was still a local uh, station, but took on certainly national issues. But we had some amazing local guests. 
and that was just one of the many ones. So, uh, and now <laughs> it's like a, I don't have that same access. I'm sure I could find those folks, but so much more of what we do uh, is national and international. It's it's a little uh, difficult, although I'd happily do a, another show like that. But uh, I need some staff and some extra folks to help out uh, booking some of the local guests again. Uh, got another person joining us on the live chat. We got Duck Northwest Media uh, is on as well as uh, Marco. At Sinai 77 in the Netherlands. Uh, Duck, where are you calling? Where are you texting in from? It's always nice to know where people are uh, are joining us from because it's worldwide. The live chat's worldwide, and so anybody can join us there. So that was WBY. It was a fascinating station. I loved working there, and I didn't want to leave. But <laughs> what what you want and what happens are, are sometimes two different things. Okay, so I got a bunch of other stuff here I want to talk about, and I try to find stories again that, that most folks are not reporting. And so I've got a few of those here for our last hour today. Again, anybody wants to comment on live chat, just get yourself a free account. Feel free to, to join us. Uh, if you've got, uh, if you want to call in to one five three eight three three eight three two, And let's, uh, let's see if we can get to more of the spiritual, intellectual uh, aspects of today's news. And I found this thing from May 25th. And so just last month. It's called The Absence of Honor and Our Failed Governing Elites. And this is from Inter- Intellectual Takeout. Another great source of information um, for the show here. And it's by Jeff Minick, M-I-N-I-C-K, again, May 25th, uh, in Intellectual Takeout, The Absence of Honor and Our Failed Governing Elites, who says, in in To Lucasta, on going to the war, uh, Richard Lovelace, 1618 to 1657. Well, that's not a very long life. What was that? 39 years. That's a real short life. It's Richard Lovelace, uh, 1618 to 1657, writes of a soldier who laments leaving the, quote, chaste breast and quiet mind of his mistress to embrace, quote, a sword, a horse, and a shield. But he concludes the poem with this thought. Yet this inconsistency is such as thou too shalt adore. I could not love thee, dear, so much. Loved I not honor more. Look up misplaced loyalty. <laughs> It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I love honor too, but uh, I don't want to fight a stupid war over it. Uh, and so uh, that, this is, you know, interesting in our history how many wars actually had to be fought. Uh, I think the, uh, the war for independence was essential to gain our independence. I think the Civil War probably could have been negotiated if cooler heads had prevailed. Uh, I think World War II was mostly forced, forced upon us, but in other ways, we also helped cause it um, by, by – uh, you know, boycotts of Japan and industrial materials, things like that. But they were all bent on, at uh, that time, um, you know, conquest uh, of, of the world, so of that part of the world. So that was probably inevitable at some point. But, yeah, could World War II have been avoided? Don't know. I mean, we could have uh, avoided war in Europe by simply um, building up a whole bunch of convoy patrols, submarines, destroyers, things like that, as we sent stuff to England and back and forth. We didn't have to go to war in Europe. Um that, you know, but, um, you know, so that, there's a question. I mean, Russia was <laughs> coming in on the other side, uh, and Russia's the one that, that fought Germany the most on the Eastern Front. So I don't know. But then, of course, the other wars that were absolutely stupid and needless, Vietnam, Korea, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, and now Ukraine, um, never should have been fought. Never had to be fought, as we talked about earlier on the show. Anyway, back to the article. This is over 200 years later, Carl Meister, Maser, M-A-E-S-E-R, 1828 to 1901, founder of Brigham Young Academy, precursor to Brigham Young University, also spoke of honor. This quote, which comes from Brett and Kate McKay's The Art of Manliness, uh, manvotionals, <laughs> is long but deserves to be read, rendered in full. It says, I have been asked what I mean by word of honor. I will tell you, 
place me behind prison walls, walls of stone ever so high, ever so thick, reaching ever so far into the ground. There is a possibility that in some way or another, I might be able to escape, but stand me on the floor and draw a chalk line around me and have me give my word of honor never to cross it. Can I get out of that circle? No, never. I die first. So that's what honor means. Honor has been lost in our society. I mean, our, our, like I say, our ruling elites have no honor whatsoever. They just have personal motivation, selfishness, greed, and, and all the other uh, vices that are out there. So the author says, Jeff Minnick, in our postmodern culture, the usage of honor in certain er- arenas, the recipient of an award frequently replies with some statement beginning, I am honored. Our nation awards the Medal of Honor to combatants who perform acts of valor, and we still find a maid or matron of honor you know, in a bridal party of a wedding. Those frequently violated these days are service academies were once famed for their code of honor, which banned lying, cheating, and stealing and punished violators of that trust with dismissal. Yet honor as conceived by Lovelace and Mazur is so rarely mentioned today, particularly in regard to our public figures, that we may well wonder whether so the concept still exists. Let me just digress. It exists on this show. I think uh, all of us have, have, uh, although we haven't maybe publicly sworn an oath, I think all of us have, uh, certainly I have pledged my life to to the greatest uh, freedom for the greatest number. You know, and I don't have any reservation about that whatsoever. Whatever happens to me happens. I'm not going to change that because it has to be done and I want to do it. So uh, that's what I want to leave behind. So that's my honor. Uh, That's my pledge. And uh, if I'm ever not here, you know, because of some dark force out there, then uh, who says, oh, he committed suicide. He, uh, you know, he was terribly distraught. It's a bunch of nonsense. I'm great. I'm extremely happy. Life is wonderful. So, uh, you know, as a lot of reporters say who do controversial things that, uh, you know, any, you know, I'm not depressed. If you, have any, if you hear anything about something happening, yeah, it's, it's a lie. It's just a straight out lie. Uh, I believe uh, Andrew Breitbart was murdered. Uh, I believe a lot of folks, um, you know, I believe that the, the Clintons have killed a ton of people who might have testified or, or spoken against them. Now, I don't know anything that much about the Clintons, so I don't worry about that particularly, but I'm certainly speaking against the deep state on a daily basis. i got a bill to uh, take away the power of Congress to borrow money. You don't think that's going to cause me some enemies? <laughs> you have no idea. I do. But I welcome the challenge because that's my honor. That's, that's what I stand for. If you don't stand for something, you, you, you stand for nothing. Anyway, back to the article. He says uh, you know, whether such honor still exists. And in an earlier time, for example... Honor impugned uh, could result in death, as was the case in 1806 when Andrew Jackson killed Charles Dickinson in a duel sparked by aspirations cast on Jackson's honesty and on his wife, Rachel. Jackson was later elected president of the United States. Fast forward to 2022 when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock on stage at the Academy Awards for insulting his wife and many celebrities and viewers condemned Smith's defensive, uh, defense of her honor as beyond the pale. I'm not sure what the pale is, but apparently this is beyond it. Uh, though extreme in both cases, a code of personal honor was at work. If we search online for personal honor definition, we find a variety of meanings, many of which include the word integrity. Defined by my online dictionary as the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, principles not so long ago we thought of as honorable was a high compliment. Even today, though we may rarely use the word, most of us know people we regard as honorable. The trustworthy mechanic, the physician who does her absolute best for her patients, the office manager who treats his employees justly and fairly. So let me see. I'm going to stop for a second and check out live chat. Um, It looks like uh, people are coming and going. And, 
Oh, we got uh, three. We got uh, Be Wise the Serpents. We've got Duck Northwest Media and Cyanide 77 on live chat. So well, let's see what kind of chat you guys come up with. It's a question of honor. Is European honor different than American honor? Don't know. How about chivalry? Does that apply? You know, the knights of old had honor. You know, there were fields of battle. There were conditions. There were rules. Not so much anymore. Back to the article. In today's political circles, however, where we might hope for an abundance of honorable men and women, personal integrity frequently seems as dated as Jackson's dueling pistols. Integrity implies a willingness to accept blame as well as praise, yet no one in government has resigned in the wake of our disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, which actually was a surrender. You know, I call it a surrender. Trump calls it a surrender. I call it a surrender when it happened. Uh, his, or our catastrophic COVID policies. No, no one's resigned over that. Or the ongoing chaos, chaos at our southern border. Well, that's not, it's not chaos at our southern border. It's planned invasion at our southern border. Let's start talking about it. What happened at the southern border is not an accident. It was planned because we went from a solid southern border under Trump to a wide open, come on down, you know, price is right invitation. So everybody could walk in. So there, there was no, there's no crisis at the southern border. There's no disaster at the southern border. There's a planned invasion at the southern border. So part of honor uh, and integrity imply honesty. And if you can't be honest about it, then you don't have enough honor to even uh, stand up and, and, and be counted and say what you, what you mean. I call illegal Brandon illegal Brandon because he's not the president, because the 2020 election was stolen, and I stand by that. You know, people say, well, uh, there's no evidence that the election was stolen. Well, there's plenty of evidence. I tell those people, you just haven't looked at it. And you won't look at it because you don't, you don't want to see the evidence. So there's their lack of integrity. You know, but just, just think about this on, a, on, a, on a, the reason and logic filter. You know, uh, Joe Biden, who was never popular nationally, who, who always scored like fifth or sixth in the primaries when he ran for president, who couldn't get eight people to go to a rally unless he paid them, who campaigned from his basement, in a mentally deficient state, do you honestly think for a second that it's possible for him to be Donald Trump, who was wildly popular, who had incredibly popular policies, who the country loved, you know, uh, could Biden beat Trump in a fair election? That's impossible to believe, if you're looking at it honestly. And yet people say, well, uh, there's no evidence that there was vote, vote fraud. Well, there's not, the, the biggest evidence is the fact that Brandon is in the White House. That's a huge evidence right there, because there's no way he could have beaten Trump in a fair election. That would be impossible. But they never intended to have a fair election. That's how I knew that all this was going on. That's how I knew it was going to be fake and a fraud because there's no way that Biden, as soon as Biden was nominated, I said, there's no way he can win. He can't win honestly. They have to cheat. It's the only way he could have done it. And guess what? They cheated. There's your evidence. The fact they nominated Biden at all, knowing that Biden was far less popular than Donald Trump. Why would you do that if you're the Democrat Party? Why would you not nominate someone you know is far less popular than the person you're running against? That's a guaranteed loss. Well, the only reason was they knew they weren't going to lose because they knew they were going to steal the election. So there's more proof, just simply deductive reasoning. Let's get back to honor. Uh, it says the ongoing revelations of the Biden family's shady financial dealings. Let's put it another way. The ongoing revelations of illegal Brandon's family's extortion and bribery, let's say what it is, appear void of, of honor. Other than, as the old saying goes, honor among thieves. The Durham report confirmed what many already knew. Of course it did. That the FBI, which was once the very embodiment of untarnished honor, that's not true, had disgraced itself, that is true, and failed to uphold both its standards and its duty to operate under the law. Well, that's usually true. Who all, that's usually true all the time. 
Then it says the 51 former intelligence officers who over two years ago signed a letter claiming that the Hunter Biden laptop emails and information were a Russian ruse lied to the American people in an effort to assist the Biden presidential campaign and so disgraced themselves. Okay, so why aren't they in jail Um, for I don't know what the the crime would be, actually. Um, Certainly should be exposed for what they did. Anyway, it says in 2022, Republican George Santos blatantly lied about his educational and employment background to win a seat in the House of Representatives and now has been charged for those deceptions and for financial wrongdoings. But Santos is perhaps the only, is perhaps only the most flagrant case of such chicanery and falsehoods among our officials, elected and appointed. You know, resident Biden, I won't say what they say, some members of both parties in Congress and various government bureaucrats, Dr. Fauci, who we call Dr. Fascist, is a stellar example, have all engaged in deceit and distortion of the truth in the past year alone. The consequence? Polls show that trust in government is at near record low among Americans. In his 2006 book, Honor, A History, James Bowman writes, the culture of our governing elites is woefully, even fatally inadequate to the demands that will be eventually placed upon it without some return to a sense of honor in the old-fashioned sense. And here we are. So uh, that's kind of a tame article from what I would have said <laughs> now that I read it. Uh, it's, kind of, yeah, it's, it's a little bit boring for my taste. I want something a little stronger next time. But, uh, you know, when he talks about honor, you know, I mean, there is no honor out there. I mean, we've got blatant deep state deception. You know, we've got, uh, you, know, you know, Fauci isn't just a liar. He's, a, he's the, the author of a medical holocaust. You know, running all kinds of scams and lockdowns and uh, coordinating, uh, you know, horrible things with the governors and, and lying about pretty much everything. Evil, evil man. All right. Let's see if we can get something else that's uh, equally uh, fascinating here. Uh, I'm going to stay in the COVID vein for a while. I'll finish this up today. Then I don't have to uh, deal with it uh, again because uh, I've dealt with it for three years now. Brownstone Institute. <clears throat> Excuse me. Any kind of comments here? Yeah. Oh, you guys are writing in German. Great. Thanks for the German, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> Back to my article. <laughs> Brownson Institute. The Economics of Lockdown Panics. And this is by Robert Blumen, B-L-U-M-E-N, June 1st. So a couple last uh, week and a bit ago. Former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo famously defended draconian restrictions and economic damage if measures saved just one life. Let me stop right there. You know, that uh, the left uses that. Well, if it saves just one life, it's worth it. Okay. Well, if it saves just one life, we should stop Congress borrowing money. If it saves just one life, uh, we should uh, get rid of all the health Nazis and uh, Dr. Fascists and, and get rid of the CDC, NIH, and FDA. You know, if it saves one life, maybe we should give all Americans a gun when they turn 18. I mean, I can think of a lot of just one life. Saves just one life. If it saves just one life to go faster than 70, maybe we should do that. You know, it saves just one life to get rid of all electric cars. Maybe we should do that. You know, I mean, that's such a stupid saying. It's really, well, we can't, we can't lose one life. But uh, I think the best one is if it saves one life, then uh, everybody should get a gun. There you go. And train how to use it. <laughs> From, uh, well, I don't know who. We'll, well, that's another conversation. We'll have that some. Have that again. We've already had that one. But we'll do it again. Article says President Trump's first take on COVID was to compare it to a seasonal flu. Well, he was absolutely right. In a similar vein, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson planned herd immunity uh, as his government's response. Well, that was right, too. Both leaders flipped and went for lockdowns when their advisors presented them with doomer models. The lockdowns gravely damaged their respective nations, which have still not recovered. So let's talk about that, because this is is really interesting. In the history of COVID, the best thing to do was nothing. 
Uh, the best thing to do was Peter Navarro's 80 million hydroxychloroquine tablets. And the best thing to do was to get out in the fresh air, go see all your friends, transfer, get COVID through the population as quickly as possible with herd immunity. We all would have gotten over it in a couple of weeks and we've been gone in about six weeks. That was how you should have handled COVID. And so we told everybody to handle COVID back the end of February, beginning of March, 2020. They did just the opposite. They saved COVID. They preserved COVID. Why? Because they wanted to keep COVID around, excuse me, until the vaccines came out, which weren't even vaccines. But you look at everything that happened, lockdowns, the stress, the isolation. When you isolate people, you preserve the disease because it doesn't transfer around and doesn't, uh, people don't build up immunity to it. So that's how you preserve it. Uh, social distancing, no contact, preserve the disease. I don't even well, social distancing was kind of stupid because you can sneeze 200 feet. You know, viruses can travel a long way. Or is it 200 feet or 200 miles an hour? Seasons come out about 200 miles an hour. You think six feet is going to save you from an aerosol? No. In fact, uh, the aerosols of sneezes and coughs, once they get in the, uh, the air systems, can transfer several floors of an office building pretty quickly. So that was always stupid. But the biggest problem with the lockdowns was the isolation, was the, uh, uh, the stress. Stress reduces your immune system. So everything was designed to reduce your immune system, keep you out of the food stores, keep you away from the public, you know, make you scared, make you put hand sanitizer everywhere, um, close the schools, close the businesses, <clears throat> except for the big Democrat donors, um, you know, like the big box stores. Uh, you know, Walmart and uh, Target and the other big stores stayed open. Um, but the smaller stores, mom and pop stores, you know, the Republican stores, they all had to close. So it's purely political. The school's closing. Teachers got a holiday. They still were on salary. They went to Buenos Aires, hung out on the beach. You know, so they got a holiday. So they were happy. Um, but uh, there was no reason for anything that happened uh, in any of those COVID mandates. They were all incredibly harmful. And the worst part was we didn't need them. They, they killed people. You know, stress, abuse, um, assault, murder, alcohol, drug addiction. All these things went up during, you know, during the lockdowns. None of them were, were, were needed. Neither was borrowing $7 trillion. Again, let it go through the population. Uh, it's, it wasn't that serious for people, for most people, for 999 of the people, which is almost everybody, it wasn't that big a deal. It just wasn't. Then it says, we cannot know their minds. (laughs) Yes, we can. But assuming that it was entirely a political calculus, the fear of being held responsible for any number of avoidable deaths, even one, outweighs the cost of destroying 25 to 40% of small businesses, many careers, vocational opportunities, and mental health of young people. Let's talk about the, um, the, the, the Neil Ferguson uh, two million death bogus scenario. So Trump was right uh, when he was going with Dr. Zelenko and when he was going with the policies of Peter Navarro. And he was basically saying, you know, herd immunity, hydroxychloroquine, we'll get over this a little bit. It's not that big a deal. He was absolutely right. Then the doom and gloom people came out and they lied to him. And Fauci lied to him and Brex lied to him and uh, Redfield lied to him. And pretty much every the media lied to him. Pretty much everybody lied to Donald Trump. That's why he had problems. He should have listened to the people telling him the truth, Dr. Blanco, Peter Navarro, uh, Scott Atlas, and a few others, and the doctors that we knew. He should have done that, but he did. So he believed the Neil Ferguson model, when, which said that 2 million Americans were going to die of COVID. Well, that was never going to happen. It was based on a bogus model um, with a huge projection to create fear. So people would, would go for the vaccine that wasn't a vaccine, that was untested that wouldn't be raised, you know, safely for 15 years, but they wanted it right now. Give it to me now. Save me. Why? COVID's not that big a deal. Never was. Government response was a big deal, but COVID itself was never a big deal, you know, except for those incredibly vulnerable. But this flu is the same thing. Cold is the same thing. Any disease. If you're vulnerable, any disease is a big, 
Anyway, so Neil Ferguson's model uh, got transferred around the world. Everybody believed it. And it was a bunch of nonsense. I knew it was a bunch of nonsense. I could tell. I could just read it. This is stupid. He's making it's like it's like climate, he's the same guy that did climate change models. So I knew he didn't know what he was talking about. But Trump believed it, and he believes that he saved, you know, several million people um, by by doing the things that he did. Where in, in actual fact, he helped cause the deaths of a, of a million people in the uh, the Remdesivir ventilator death march. That's what really killed folks. We've talked about that too. So Neil Ferguson caused the uh, mistaken belief that millions of people would die even when they weren't. So they took measures that actually ensured that millions of people died worldwide. That's the problem. Anyway, he says, do we value human life to the extent that we place no limit on the cost that we would bear to save one? What is the cost? Setting aside whether the measures saved any lives at all. (laughs) Doubt it. (laughs) Is saving one life worth a torrent of horrendous cost imposed on many people? How can we know? Economist Thomas Sowell observed, there are no solutions, only trade-offs. Economics can help us understand that this absolutist way of thinking is not conducive to human life. See, here's the thing, too. Someone will say, well, if it saves one life, we should get rid of all the guns. Well, how do you know that's going to save one life? What if it costs millions more lives? And is the right, you know, are people going to lose their life anyway? You can say the same thing. Well, we should get rid of all small airplanes so nobody dies in a small airplane. What, miss the joy of flying in a small airplane? Who are you to tell me what I can and can't do? If people accept responsibility for themselves, you know, that's okay. We have certain rules that the FAA says you have to be able to uh, follow and do before you can fly an airplane. And frankly, that's okay too. But to try and take the right away, I believe flying is a right, like driving is a right. Um, If you try and take away all our freedoms to save lives, you're going to cost lives. Because how many lives are are lost by depression of people not being able to to do what they want to do and experience true freedom? People are going to die anyway, on on the roads, in the air. Uh, People are going to die in all kinds of different ways. And you can't stop that. But what you can't do is say because some people are going to die, you can take away the rights of everybody else. You can't say because some people are going to die because of guns that you can take guns from literally everybody else to save those people. Because first of all, you may not save them anyway. They might, be, they might kill themselves another way or be stupid. And two, you don't violate the rights of good people to try and stop bad people from doing stupid things or stupid people from doing stupid things. You can't do that. That's not how it works. Everybody's individual. So you don't project on one person who may die from guns onto everybody else that might own them and use them safely and effectively and legally. Besides, how many lives would be saved if everybody had a gun? That's the opposite question when you don't know. They assume nobody, but that's not true. Headline, ignoring indirect effects. Journalist uh, Henry Hazlett is the author of the classic work Economics in One Lesson. The work consists of 25 chapters that reinforce a single lesson. What is the one lesson? It is the greatest economic fallacy. Uh, it, it is that the greatest economic fallacy is, quote, overlooking secondary consequences. He says advocates of an economic policy base their support on its direct and most obvious effects. Well, that's interesting. According to Hazlitt, there is a persistent tendency of men to see only the immediate effects of a given policy or its effects only on a special group and to neglect to inquire what the long-run effects of that policy will be on on uh, only on that special group, but on all groups. But indirect effects can be harmful, at least as great in magnitude, but even more difficult to understand. Counting the benefits while disregarding the unseen costs creates the illusion of a free lunch. As we all know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. So this is interesting. So let me see if I can uh, uh, put this, this, this gobbledygook into some kind of logical, uh, logical sequence here. 
So secondary effects. We talked about this yesterday with Brian Artis. And I said the cure to COVID was freedom. Well, wait a minute. How is the cure to COVID freedom? Cure to COVID is like, you know, vaccine, man. No, it's not. The cure to COVID was freedom because freedom would have provided the freedom of information. Freedom of information would have told people that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin cured COVID. That would have saved millions of you know, lives worldwide. It did in a lot of places. Freedom of information would have told people that remdesivir was a, a highly dangerous chemical that uh, killed over 50% of the, of the people in the trial, had no effect on, on coronavirus, and only uh, served to store your kidneys so your lungs would fill up so you could then be killed by a ventilator. Freedom of information would have uh, gotten that information out before hardly anybody died. So what killed people days was a lack of freedom. So you want to talk about secondary effect? The cure for COVID was freedom, the Constitution, the things that's always in force. But by taking away the freedom, by restricting the rights, by suppressing the freedom of information, by, by following all these, these horrible lockdown policies that were completely illegal, we lost a million plus lives, maybe two million by the time we're done with all the, uh, the jab mandates. So, so the lack of freedom killed these people. So you want to talk about secondary effects? So the Constitution was the cure to COVID. Always was. Freedom would have stopped it in about six to eight weeks. Because we didn't have freedom, it's still with us now, three years later. That's secondary consequences. Article says, not, not every single one of these things that keeps us alive and thriving are economic goods. But a good many of them are. He says, at an individual level, money gives you access to food, shelter, heat, air conditioning, clothing, medical care, and whatever services you need in any area of life. A wealthy society will have quality infrastructure such as roads, the power grid, cellular networks, and emergency services. The more advanced economies have a skilled labor force consisting of people who can build, install products, and repair things that break. Freedom works there too. Freedom in a free market is what makes people prosperous and healthy. So freedom is actually healthy, if you want to talk about secondary effect, actually primary effect. Then they say the single factor that enables us to address all risks, harms, and misfortune in life is wealth. Wealthier societies can afford to build more stable buildings that will withstand earthquakes and extreme weather. Better pipelines to move oil and gas, redundant power generation capacity, dams and aqueducts to move water, more inventory of food and medical supplies. So wealth is the key. Well, how do you get wealthy? We have a free market. What are we doing now? A closed communist market. So the reason life expectancy is going down, the reason that COVID policies killed a million people when they shouldn't have killed uh, hardly any, the reason all these things are happening is because we are locking down our freedom and the government's keeping the wealth. They've increased the taxes. They've refused to let people prosper. They had thousands upon thousands of business go out of business during the lockdowns. So government's killing the wealth. And they're causing, because of the massive borrowing of, in Congress and the massive in, inflation, we're losing our wealth. The way to wealth and prosperity is very simple. Stop government borrowing, get rid of inflation, and go from there. Pretty easy stuff. Let's see if I can go to my, uh, ooh, life has been a little busy since I've been reading a little German, a little German. Get several guns, just in case. Yeah, exactly. Rule number one, get yourself a gun. Yeah, more guns, less crime. More guns are better. Uh, ever hear of Garrett Hughes, Key West? No. Trump gave you warp speed. Trump gave you HR 6666, what the HR is, but warp speed was an absolute disaster. You can't make a vaccine in nine months, and as I, from what Judy Mikovits says, none of them are any good anyway. Even if, and even if you get the disease that they're trying to vaccinate you against, which most of which haven't been seen in 100 years, well, until the illegals came in, um, they're easily curable. So, see, again, you don't need a, a vaccine. 
Trump is an obvious narcissist. Not necessarily. We also got here. Clone tech has skyrocketed. Don't know about that. Those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety. Yeah, the freedom, the Franklin quote. Liberty should not be confused with freedom. Okay, so all right, so now this is where be wise as a serpent has, an, has a good point. Liberty is a very interesting term. Liberty should not be confused with freedom. Okay, so what's the difference between liberty and freedom? Uh, you can find that on our screens, uh, on our slides to the show. Not not the live show, but you go back to any of our other shows, and we actually charted liberty. So on the bottom of axis of the graph, we have. Uh, uh, totalitarianism on the left, because that's where, you know, on the left, that's ultimate control. It's a control graph on the horizontal. And on the right is anarchy, which is no control. And on the left side, we have freedom. Freedom is individual. Liberty is societal. That's the difference. Freedom is individual. Liberty is, you know, whatever group you want, the city, the county, the country, the state. So liberty is, is the expression of, of group freedom, basically. And if you look at our chart, you will see that liberty is found... Uh, where the greatest personal freedom is, where any increase towards anarchy reduces your freedom and any increase towards totalitarianism gets rid of your freedom. So the loss of freedom towards totalitarianism, the loss of freedom towards anarchy can be charted. We did. We charted. It's about, uh, eh, about uh, I'd say, three-quarters of the way to the, the right side. So that's, that's, where we chart, that's where we put liberty. You can actually graph it. We did. So liberty, in other words, liberty is greatest at the point of the most personal freedom where any, head, any movement towards anarchy reduces your freedom and any, any movement towards totalitarianism reduces your freedom. That's where it is. Uh, that should help with um, a lot of live chat, folks. Okay, a little bit left to do here. Only about half an hour left. We got wealth. Okay, here's another another part of our Brownstone Institute article. Many people have pointed out that lives are not saved absolutely by any medical or public health measures because we'll die at some point, which is true. Only years of a life can be saved by avoidance of an early death. That's true, too. The more forms of wealth and opportunities to be productive that exist in a society, the better that its members are able to sustain and extend their lives. The COVID panic measures were alleged to save lives by isolating us from each other. However, they had the effect of isolating many people from productive work as well. Yeah, the isolation killed people. Stress, alcoholism, addictive drugs, things like that. And also you had the domestic violence, sexual assaults, murders, all the other things that went along with lockdowns. The article says, had life continued more or less normally, which is what we were talking about at Action Radio since you know February of 2020, had life continued uh, more or less normally with those most at risk isolating or taking precautions, then younger and healthier members of society could have continued with productive work. This would have resulted in them having more freedom and more wealth. Exactly. So in other words, the biggest problem with COVID was they quarantined the healthy people, and that is unconstitutional. That could not have been done, except illegally by force of guns. That's how they did it, by force. They quarantined the healthy by force, which you cannot do. Constitution has no provision for limitations, for restrictions, for compelling state interests, for public health emergencies. The Constitution has no provision for those whatsoever. The Constitution is always in force. Your, your rights are always in force. Government cannot limit your rights in any way at any time for any reason. It's just that simple. They can't. That's what a right is. A right is something that can't be touched in government regardless of the circumstance. And if you understand that, you understand freedom. You understand that freedom 
the, the killing of freedom is what killed people with COVID, not the COVID itself, except in you know, a few cases. Then it says, this would have put uh, the well in a better position to help the weak and ill. Suppose that instead of general lockdowns, public health officials had created a sort of volunteer job matching board where the quarantined or the ill could ask for whatever form of help they needed, such as someone to run an errand for them or cut their lawn, and the, member, and the well members of society could have volunteered to help as needed. Well, that makes sense. Planners told us that essential work continued and that only non-essential work was paused. Well, that's not true. But it was not so simple to split economic activities into two buckets. It says law of markets uh, is the observation that any supply of a good constitutes a demand for some different kind of good. True. Ceasing production of half of the economy makes us all poor. The idled, quote, non-essential workers are no longer able to contribute their supply to the pile. Shutting off production deprives many workers of the resources they need to sustain their lives in myriad ways. Trying to fill the gap by printing money only created inflation. Let me say that again. Trying to fill the gap by printing money only created inflation. So the only thing the government created out of COVID was inflation because they, they printed money. Didn't need to. Didn't need to borrow money either. So the reason they print money is because they borrow money. They print money to cover the money they borrowed. Then it says high time preference. High time, pre- time preference is the degree to which people prefer goods and services in the present compared to the future. Having a good – I don't know how to read this. This is boring. Economic stuff. I, I think I got the main part of the article. Huh. Interesting article, but it's long. <laughs> and uh, like I say, I, I can only do so much reading. And then I get tired of it. Uh, 12 years of public fool education, freedom, or free to be dumb. Yeah, government education is, the, is one of the greatest causes of uh, the loss of freedom. Because people who go to government schools don't understand what freedom is. Then he said, then uh, be wise. The serpent says, you have not done one iota of research of study in regards to that term liberty. Well, that's a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> Obviously, if I had, hadn't studied liberty, how was I able to graph it? Moron. That was a moron comment. You know the moron, but that was a moron comment. Comment. All right, what do we got here now? Oh, I see that they're not going to let me uh, get to this article. Okay, fine. Ah, here we go. The great COVID ventilator death cover-up. Let me, uh, let me get back to this one a little bit. I want to play something for you. Again, when I have to talk too much, um, I want to, you know, I don't you, yeah, I get bored. <laughs> Just going to see what else I got for you. So we, yesterday we played the, um, the great church and state debate. Uh, the other one I play frequently is the uh, Sedition Act. And so sedition is criticizing the government. You know, they say that those who... Uh, were guilty on January 6th, were guilty of sedition or seditious conspiracy. In other words, complaining about the government or allegedly trying to overthrow it. Of course, you can't overthrow it with cell phones walking between the uh, velvet cords, you know, exploring the Capitol hall. Capitol, when the Congress is downstairs, totally away from you. You can't overthrow a single thing then. And yet that's the accusation. So let's go to Santa Rosa Volunteers, who used to sponsor the show but don't now. And let me see if I can find one of my favorite ones, uh, which is... The Sedition Act, because what's going on today with with uh, seditious conspiracy, that charge? Sedition is when you complain about your government uh, and you talk badly about it and you do, well, let's look at exactly what sedition is. Basically, it's, it's opposing your government, which in a free country is, is almost a requirement. Sedition is conduct or speech inciting people to rebel against the authority of a state or a monarch. Okay, so sedition's more than just complaining about your government. It's actually, you know, creating a, a force to try and get rid of it. All right. 
So let's play the Sedition Act. And what this will tell you uh, is that uh, something that was blatantly uh, – it was the Sedition Acts themselves were illegal. And yet we, have, we basically have those same illegal actions now going on to prosecute uh, Trump supporters who are simply walking around the Capitol after being invited in by the open doors and the guards that said, come on down, like the price is right. So this is what Sedition Acts uh, more in perspective. And you'll see that the real people who are guilty of sedition are not the Trump supporters. Um, they're the deep state. And that's what this article is all about. So back in about uh, eight minutes, talk to you then. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with Founding Moments, insights into our founding documents, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers here in Santa Rosa County, Florida. Santa Rosa Volunteers is available at their website, srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. This week, I want to break from the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers to consider one of the many aberrations in the early days of the land of the free. That is the Sedition Act of 1798. Granted, this is always grouped with the companion bills on aliens, but I see them as separate issues. Why would a new government formed from colonies under rules of sedition from a foreign monarch bring about that same tyranny into our government so early in its existence? The Constitution was ratified on September 17, 1787. The Bill of Rights was ratified on December 15, 1791. So it was already in the supreme law of the land that Congress could make no law that abridged the freedom of speech, thus making any subordinate law on sedition unconstitutional automatically. And yet, it happened. All power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Therefore, if you have a government of good laws and yet bad officials who crave the preservation of power more than the alleged guarantees of freedom, freedom takes second place. You can see that in evidence throughout the entire government response to a coronavirus that would have run its course naturally in about 10 weeks, just like the flu every year and would have been gone by the summer of 2020 when all viruses fade until the winter. And yet, look at the massive amount of power taken from the people in a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Sedition is defined in my online dictionary as conduct or speech inciting people to rebel against the authority of a state or monarch. So what did the government put into a law that so obviously came from the former ruler of the colonies into the new government of the United States? The Sedition Act is titled, An Act for the Punishment of Certain Crimes against the United States. In other words, conduct or speech that criticizes the government. <laughs> Where have we heard that before? Section 1 of the Sedition Act reads, Be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America, in Congress assembled, that if any persons shall unlawfully combine or conspire together with intent to oppose any measure or measures of the government of the United States, which are or shall be directed by proper authority or to impede the operation of any law of the United States or to intimidate or prevent any person holding a place or office in or under the government of the United States from undertaking, performing, or executing his trust or duty, and if any person or persons with intent as aforesaid shall counsel, advise, or attempt to procure any insurrection 
riot, unlawful assembly, or combination where there's such conspiracy, threatening, counsel, advice, or attempt shall have, been, shall have the proposed effect or not, he or they shall be deemed guilty of a high misdemeanor. This, of course, violates the entire First Amendment, except with regard to religion. It gets worse. Section 2 <laughs> says in part, And be it further enacted, that if any person shall write, print, utter, or publish, or shall cause or procure to be written, printed, uttered, or published, or shall knowingly and willingly assist or aid in writing, printing, uttering, or publishing any false, scandalous, and malicious writing or writings against the government of the United States, or either House of the Congress of the United States, or of the President of the United States, with intent to defame the said government, or either House of the said Congress, or the said President, or to bring them, or either of them, into contempt or disrepute, or to excite against them, or either, or any of them, the hatred of the good people of the United States. Hmm. In other words, saying anything against the government of the United States, or anyone in it, is a crime punishable by jail and fines. This effectively creates political prisoners in the United States, much like the innocent people in the D.C. Gulag jail for being in the Capitol building January 6th. If that were not bad enough, within the Sedition Act is probably the most dangerous provision to individual liberty that I have yet seen in the founding documents and provides a shocking precursor to the future neutralization of our jury system and the supremacy of the government courts over the people. Section 3. And be it further enacted and declared that if any person shall be prosecuted under this act for the writing or publishing any libel aforesaid, it shall be lawful for the defendant upon the trial of the cause to give an evidence in his defense, the truth of the matter contained in publication charged as a libel, and the jury who shall try the cause shall have a right to determine the law and the facts under the direction of the court, as in other cases. The key words here are under the direction of the court. The whole point of a jury is to not only determine the guilt of the defendant, the restitution in a civil case, but most important for the jury is to determine whether the laws implied are fair, just, constitutional, and are not arbitrary and capricious reservoirs of unlimited government power over the people. Jurors can do whatever they want because they are the representatives of the people over the judges who work for the government and therefore work for the people. And yet, as virtually every judge instructs their juries that they can only judge the facts of the case and not the law. That lie is repeated every day in courts all across the country. And now I see where it came from. Section 3 is really saying that the juries, and therefore the people, are under the direction of the court. What the Sedition Act really does is makes criticism of the government a crime and allows government judges to direct the juries that would hear any case under this act, thus destroying the right of free speech and to redress grievances against the government and to due process and the right to a jury trial of one's peers. One could imagine anyone charged under this act would be guilty until proven innocent and then ruined by government if they were proved innocent. Can you think of any parallels to the rights of free speech today? The Sedition Act was approved July 14, 1798, signed by John Adams, President of the United States. 
This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with Founding Moments, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers. Their website is srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. Please share this report to anyone who needs it. Dedicated to fixing everything. Okay, we're back to the last, um, I don't know, 12 minutes? No, 17 minutes. Anyway, so we got a little bit of time. Got a lot of comments here on live chat. And uh, one of them here, let me see, it's kind of stupid, actually. <laughs> this is from Be Wise as Serpents. It says, liberty is not freedom, and freedom is not sovereignty. Go do your true diligence first. <laughs> So in other words, when people disagree with me, the, their first response is, I'm stupid, <laughs> or I didn't look into it, or I didn't do my research. That's not an argument. So, so saying that liberty is not freedom and freedom is not sovereignty, um, that's just kind of dumb. You know, liberty and freedom are, are similar, but they're different. Freedom is individual and liberty is societal. I don't need to find that. And that has not been refuted by these comments here. Freedom is not sovereignty. Sovereignty is, is, is your independence um, from, uh, from being a subject. So if you are a sovereign, which we are in the United States, everybody's a sovereign, uh, we have uh, you know, our rights from God. We are individuals, and we have individual rights, okay? And we are sovereign from the government and have to be treated as individuals, whereas in Britain, they're subjects. In other words, they do not have full citizenship. They do not have the rights. The only sovereign is the monarch, in this case, King Charles. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, what's interesting, too, is that the, uh, the, what's going on today is basically a, a, a revival of the Sedition Acts, and they call it Seditious Conspiracy, which is actually meant for people who really were overthrowing the government, not the deep state that actually did overthrow the government, blamed Trump supporters, then installed uh, illegal Brandon uh, and did all the things they're doing now. By the way, the, the, the deep state hates this country because they, they've ruined it, totally destroyed it. Uh, and then they're, and they're saying there's no evidence that uh, Trump won. Do you think people wanted their country destroyed? No. There's more evidence that the, the election was stolen. All right. Article uh, title, a uh, heading called The New Normal. So I've just uh, subscribed to them. Michael P. Singer, S-E-N-G-E-R, wrote this on May 25th. So just a short, what, maybe two weeks ago. The Great COVID Ventilator Death Cover-Up. Well, as I call it, the Remdesivir Ventilator Death March. This is kind of a similar vein. So I think I'm, uh, I haven't read this all the way through, but I think I'm going to like this one. He says tens of thousands of Americans died after being placed on mechanical ventilators in the spring of 2020. It's long past time we got real answers as to how many were killed this way. Yeah, I, my webmaster was killed from remdesivir and a ventilator. Uh, Dr. Peter Pry, my um, national security reporter, I believe was killed with a COVID jab. So I've, I've, I've lost friends to this, to Dr. Fascist, the health Nazis, and Big Pharma and Big Tech. So this is, this is personal to me. Sorry, it's just the way it is. 
Michael says it's long been something of a mystery why there have been no major studies on how many COVID patients were killed by mechanical ventilators in the spring of 2020. I've been asking that too. Early data from China has suggested that ventilators would need to be used widely in the treatment of COVID patients, and this led to a major rush to procure ventilators on the part of politicians and hospital systems all over the world. Well, see, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, respiratory, respiratory diseases. I mean, ventilators are used when, you're, when your body shuts down. They're used for, I was on one after heart surgery, well, during heart surgery. Because they have to keep, you, they, they have to artificially inflate your lungs. You know, and so if you're, if you're in a, I guess, in a coma or dead or need a, uh, one of those uh, life-sustaining machines, whatever they're called, yeah, then you need a ventilator. But just for a respiratory disease, especially when it's not that serious, there's never a reason to put those people on ventilators unless the kidneys have been destroyed by remdesivir and their chests were filling up with fluid. But even so, I still ask the question, why weren't, there, why weren't their chests draining that fluid? Why would you put somebody on a ventilator whose chest is filled with fluid when all you have to do is remove the fluid? And the reason their chest was filled with fluid is because the kidneys were dead from remdesivir. So they, these people were killed. So let's be honest. It's, this is a medical government holocaust suppressed by big tech information and corrupt media. They're all in on it. And I don't think any of those major, major folks in media or government actually took a COVID jab. They were given something else, you know, salt, salt water or something, or they faked it or they just didn't get it. Article says a small sample of the hundreds of headlines from the period features one, such as Cuomo refutes Trump, insists New York needs up to 40,000 ventilators. New York may need 24,000 more ventilators to fight COVID-19. Here's how it could get them. Which, coron- which coronavirus patients will get life-saving ventilators? These are all headlines, right? Guidelines show how hospitals in New York City, U.S. will decide. Amid ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, Governor Cuomo announces 1,000 ventilators donated to New York State. A New York State hospital is treating two patients on a device intended for one. Well, ventilators kill people. We know that. We knew that then. Now everybody knows it now. He says, however, it soon became clear that ventilators were being vastly overused. And the medical community gradually ceased this practice of mass intubation. That was a new word to me. Intubation, I-N-T-U-B-A-T-I-O-N. In other words, putting tubes down your throat and a ventilator turned on so you can breathe. I know I had, a, I had tubes down my throat when I woke up from heart surgery. First thing I did was try and yank them out. First thing the hospital folks did was hold my hand so I couldn't yank the tubes out. But I'm like talking as best I can in my groggy state, get these, you know, effing things out of my throat. <laughs> it was an interesting experience. Article says Dr. Cameron Kyle Sidell, Sidell, S-I-D-E-L-L, acted as an early whistleblower sounding the alarm in the widely shared video, in a widely shared video, which is in the article here, too. So that's why I quote the article source. So you can find the video, which says we're operating under a medical paradigm that is untrue. I fear that this misguided treatment will lead to a tremendous amount of harm to a great number of people in a very short time. This method being widely adopted at this very moment at every hospital in the country is actually doing more harm than good. Because talking about ventilators, right? In interviews with major media outlets, several practitioners later disclosed that patients had often been put on ventilators, not for their own benefit, but in order to stop the virus from spreading. Well, that makes no sense. As one doctor later told the Wall Street Journal, we were intubating sick patients very early, not for the patient's benefit, See, isn't that what the whole thing of medical practice is for, the, the patient's benefit? That's who you're serving, right? They said, well, we didn't do it for the patient's benefit, but in order to control the epidemic and to save other patients. That felt awful. So think about this. This is the same insanity that says, you know, you better, uh, you have to take a vaccine so you can protect other people. Well, you don't. Well, what they're saying is what stops it from spreading. Well, the only thing that stops it from spreading is immunity. 
Okay, so immunity stops it from spreading. So we're already getting immunity. So why would you go for a vaccine when we already had natural immunity doing much better? So that argument falls apart. So in other words, putting patients on a ventilator to save other patients, what you're confining their breath so they don't they don't breathe that nasty stuff out there. It's fascinating. And this is as another doctor told Time Magazine. He says some doctors are intubating early because they fear that less intensive forms of ventilation, like high-flow nasal oxygen, can aerosolize the virus. In other words, turn it into an aerosol. Like when you spray, you know, Lysol, all that, that, you see those little tiny, tiny microscopic particles? That's an aerosol. By the way, aerosols come out of aerosol cans. That's how they got their name, in case you're wondering. This is putting health care workers at risk of getting sick. Oh, no. Healthcare workers are always at risk of getting sick because healthcare workers work with sick people. One would think they would know that. Anyway, uh, he says, uh, some doctors uh, are intubating early on cancer. This is more theoretical. This is more theoretical fear than real fear, Hill says, since there's, there's not strong evidence that COVID-19 spreads this way. COVID-19 was spread in the air. Everybody was exposed to it. I knew that back in February of 2020. How? Because there was an article on somebody that was briefing Congress that everybody's going to be exposed to it. Well, if they're going to brief Congress that, that better damn well be true because they're briefing Congress. Who makes policy? Anyway. Then we have here, as Dr. Rich McCormick told the House COVID Select Subcommittee, the healthcare professionals got it wrong. No, they, they actually, the, the, the government doctors got it wrong on purpose so they could preserve COVID. Remember, everything was done to preserve COVID and, and scare people to death so they would take a vaccine. That's what this is all about. That's what all the lockdowns and things were about and the masks and everything else. It was designed to scare people to take the vaccine. It had nothing to do with health because it was actually making health worse, but they didn't care. As long as, you, as long as you took that vaccine, they were happy, even though it wasn't a vaccine. We've been over that. Article says, the healthcare professionals got it wrong. We were, to, we were going off of old technologies, old assumptions. And I remember we were intubating people that probably shouldn't have been intubated. So in other words, they're putting something, somebody on something that's going to kill them, and it's not even necessary to, to help them breathe. That's scary. That's a medical holocaust. Just following orders. Yeah, we're just following orders. Okay. As Meredith Case, an internal medicine resident at New York Presbyterian Medical Center, put it in a series of since-deleted threads, yeah, can't have good information out there, hospitals were early intubating patients for many days, if not weeks, in part to avoid aerosolizing procedures to protect staff. That's nonsense, too. If they have masks that protect you, you don't need to, you know, you don't need to put people on a ventilator. Then it says, and several practice changes led to more time on the vent. Well, more time on the vent... You know, why would you put people in a vent unless they couldn't breathe? And this is where it gets weird, right? This is one problem is the sheer number of patients. Another was that we are early intubating these patients, given data suggesting improved outcomes, and also to avoid aerosolizing procedures to protect staff. Well, of course, none of that stuff worked out. People on ventilators died. And at, what, at one point, you would think they would notice that people on ventilators were dying and stop putting people on ventilators. So they're more worried about transferring the virus, which everybody had anyway, uh, than they were about killing people on ventilators because the ventilators were approved and uh, everyone thought that there was the ASMS, asymptomatic transfer and the, the, the COVID in the air was going to kill everybody. It, it never did. It was never going to. We knew it. Anyway, this is we are mostly being transferred, uh, most, we are mostly being transferred patients with single organ, uh, in other words, respiratory failure, from other ICUs to offload these units. These patients have been intubated for many days, if not weeks. Weaning is slow going. This is two of the shortages of critical. Oh, that's a bunch of technical stuff. I'm not going to read that. You get the idea. It has a bunch of tweets on it. This is the practice of extended intubation, in other words, ventilators, was apparently consistent with early guidance coming from China. Why would you take your advice from them? Then it says, as fanatical mask advocate and free speech opponent, Zainab 
Chu Fecky put it, Chinese scientists had advised many COVID-19 patients need to stay on mechanical ventilators as long as four weeks. Why? You don't even do that for, I don't know, any other disease where you put people on a ventilator for four weeks. Then it says some hospitals in New York began engaging in split ventilation, putting patients on a ventilator two at a time. That's even worse. Anyway, see if I can find the, the, the bottom line here. As Dr. John Ioannidis, sounds Greek, John Ioannidis, put in the podcast with Vinyl Prasad, or Vinay Prasad, uh, sounds Indian, Vinay Prasad, a lot of lives were lost in the spring of 2020, in part because of doctors, <laughs> not knowing how to use mechanical ventilation, just going crazy and intubating people who did not have to be intubated. Even Anthony Fauci, who we call Dr. Fascist, eventually admitted that having very, very readily put people on a mechanical ventilator may have caused more harm than good. Yeah, in other words, well, of course he knew that. He knew people were going to die on the ventilators. He didn't care. He wanted vaccine money. Then it says, I think the intensive care has improved very well. Uh, very, we very, very readily would put people on mechanical ventilation, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Let's see if i got more stuff here. Let's see if I can get to the, the, let me get the bottom line. Seems a long article. Oh, it's interesting. There's charts and all kinds of things on here. I'm almost out of show, show time, so I'll just see if I can find a really juicy quote to end up with for today. Point being that ventilators were completely unnecessary, that uh, hydroxychloroquine would have stopped this, um, that um, the government response was designed to kill people and preserve COVID so that the government could push vaccines and they could get rich with big pharma and big tech too. Big tech would control the information so no, that nobody would know that you could cure this with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Medical Holocaust. The models are wrong. The information was wrong. The government was wrong. Big tech was wrong. Big pharma was wrong. They were all wrong because uh, all they wanted to do is make money and break the law. And they didn't care how many people died in the process because they didn't care. Here we go. Indeed, this practice of mass intubation, in other words, on a ventilator, proved extremely deadly. A study in JAMA, Journal of American Medical Association, right, later revealed a 97.2% mortality rate among those uh, over 65 who've been put on mechanical ventilators. Let me say that again. 97.2. 97.2 is, is almost everybody. That's like 98%. That means only 2% of the people survived ventilators over 65. Well, if only 2% of the people survived, why would you put anybody on a ventilator? Why would you give something, a treatment to somebody that with a 98% death rate? That's insane. Well, we've got to protect other people. Well, you're not going to protect other people because they're all going to die too. Everybody because it goes in the ventilator, you know, or we'll stop the transfer of the disease. What, by killing people? That's how they stop the transfer of the disease? By killing them on a ventilator? That doesn't make sense either. This is irrational. This is insane. And yet it was done because people, you know, we're just following orders, right? 98% mortality rate among those over 65. See, so this is what uh, Brian Artis was talking about yesterday. That the reason they had such a high death rate in seniors was to get rid of them so they wouldn't cost money on Social Security rather than do what I suggested, which is pass our constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money, take away inflation, make the money worth more, and then you could pay people less on Social Security because when the dollar's worth more, it would buy more, and you could probably get away with paying out a lot less. That would reduce the government uh, national debt, the interest on the national debt. We'd have more money progressively, and we could afford the older folks. Besides, they paid into it. It's their money. Huh. He says, to put this in perspective, 98% mortality rate, patients over age 65 were more than 26 times as likely to survive if they were not placed on ventilators. That should tell you something, too. Ventilators were death. 
So overall mortality in COVID patients in, New York, in the New York area hospitals fell by over two-thirds between spring 2020 and summer 2020. Mortality among COVID patients in New York fell by over two-thirds between spring 20 and summer 2020. Why? Because they stopped putting people on ventilators, right? They say the available evidence has always overwhelm, overwhelmingly indicated that ventilators killed many patients in the spring of 2020. Told you. However, until now, it's been difficult to argue that there was necessarily any kind of cover-up going on. Yes, some patients have been killed by... Oh, this is my 90-second warning. Yes, some patients have been killed by ventilators, but there were, quite simply, not very many people talking about this issue, except Action Radio, right? Rather, the simple explanation for why there have been no serious assessments of the number of patients killed by ventilators was that so few people were asking for them. Yeah, because they didn't know to ask. So part of asking the right... The most important part about asking the right question is knowing that it's the right question to ask, right? Article says, but this all changed dramatically in the last couple of weeks as the ventilator issue came roaring back into the mainstream discourse. Most notably, a viral thread by Dr. Craig Spencer brought the ventilator question back into the spotlight. So this is all very recently. Craig Spencer, tweet, you know why we intubated people for COVID in March 2020? Because otherwise they were going to die, <laughs> right? This is, I remember a patient rolling in with an oxygen saturation of 42%, breathing twice as fast as normal, struggling on a face mask with oxygen all the way up. What to do? Scroll down further. What to do? Yeah. Then Craig says, Spencer says, if you miracul- miraculously know everything now, why didn't you tell us so then? So over a million Americans didn't have to die of COVID. That's true. So we didn't have to put ourselves at risk every time we went to work. Yeah, there's a lot of quotes here. Right, let me see how much more article I've got. Quite a bit, actually. So you want to get this, get the new normal. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm going to hold it up here. But it says the available evidence has always overwhelmingly indicated that ventilators killed many patients in the spring of 2020. Keep that in mind. Ventilators kill people. Once you know that, the rest you can figure out. So the article is The New Normal, The Great COVID Ventilator Death Cover-Up by my, Michael P. Singer, May 25th of 2023. On that exciting, happy note, uh, I'm going to stop. And I, all I can think of is the next pandemic where they're going to try and do everything they can to kill many more people. So don't listen to them. Don't, don't get locked down. Don't get on a ventilator. Don't uh, take their, their jabs. Don't do any of that stuff. Stay healthy. All right. I've covered everything I want to cover with um, sound bites and things, including some extra ones. And I just have my classical music collection for today. So let me go find that. And I'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. Where's my musical selection scroll 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 back up ah, here we go have a wonderful day uh, be active join action radio at our many sites the here is blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action um, our legislative site is writeyourlaws.com uh, slash let me start again I got a oh, okay so be wise the serpents is a really nasty derogatory comment which I'm not going to read and it'll disappear shortly anyway if I'm just going to get rid of it I don't like that kind of talk on my show. Do, 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 do. There we go. So Marco, talk to you later. Marco's probably already gone. So let me start my websites again. Blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action is our, is our radio show here. Regularlaws.com is our legislative site. GiveSendGo.com slash action radio is our contribution site. GregFengles.substack.com is our article site. And uh, my email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. That should do it. <laughs> okay. Had enough talking for one day, way too much actually. And I'll see you tomorrow for our Friday show at 7 a.m. Central Time when we do it all again.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.